Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. and Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate via live video. Thanks, coronavirus, you giant, never-ending asshole, to discuss the impressive 2021 movie Night Drive, while smoking the short but sweet T110 Kappa Especial from Tatuaje, saddled up with a plethora of tasty craft beers. So, you may ask, how exactly does the T110 cigar pair with tonight's film? Well, you're just going to have to watch or listen to the show to find out, folks. But I'll give you a clue, just this once. After the conclusion of tonight's show, stay tuned because I'll be back. I sounded a lot like the T800 there, didn't I? T800, T1000, T110, yeah. You know, I know what you're thinking now. There's some expert-level parent shit going on there. So let's not jump ahead into the future, but rather sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Chill out, dickwads. Dickwads, I say, chill out. I'll be back. So, boys, uh, I hate to start things off on a somber note here tonight. Usually we save filling the boot of remembrance for a little ways into the show once we've all caught up a little bit. Uh, but the sad news just came down and honestly, I didn't even have the heart or the strength uh, to ask for a vote on this one. So I hope y'all will let it slide just this once. Uh, this, this one stings. I had friends and family members texting me, calling me knowing that I was going to struggle with the news and it's just been a rough stretch here to say the least. So in fact, it's just so rough. I'm going to be kind of candid with both you, y'all, and the people out there. Uh, try to be kind of transparent with everyone after all this time. I'm still a bit in shock at the news, so please bear with me. I I was trying to kind of rehearse this and get through it earlier, and it didn't go so great. So I actually, it's what friends do, I actually uh, reached out to the doctor to say a few words for me. Uh, tonight before we fill the boot of remembrance. 
and he's been gracious enough to prepare something. Uh, so doctor, if you don't mind, I'd just assume hand it over to you and I'll just try to keep it together as best I can. I'm sorry, guys. Very well. For our departed friend, a eulogy. Oh, steel reserve, 211 high gravity malt liquor. How often did I awaken to the sounds of birdsong and the bright colors of noonday? Literally at noon, because you had so befouled my head that I couldn't begin to move prior to that hour. We've been on so many adventures together, or at least it seems that way. My memory is very foggy where there aren't outright gaps, all of them caused by your potent nectar. Oh, steel reserve, steel reserve. Some failed to understand your lore, but I knew of your virtues. Plentiful, like the plains buffalo before the coming of the white man. Shamefully low priced, also like the plains buffalo before the coming of the white man. And with the ability to rapidly spike one's blood alcohol content into a region free of self-pity, recrimination, and shame, those would come later. However, I would be remiss if I did not mention Steel Reserve that you did share some characteristics with the fictional beverage Strupo. It could often cause conditions like ocular hallucination and wandering mouth. Ah, but these were good times. <laughs> How many errant encounters did you cause on dating websites and at Walgreens? However, you often provided answers to many things that seem mysterious, like why are my car keys in the washing machine? Why is my lighter in my shoes? And where are my shoes? Now that you've been removed from the shelves of dingy convenient marts across the land, I'm afraid that there are certain things that are no more. No more will it seem like a good idea at 3 a.m. for me to begin the nine-hour extended cut of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. No longer will it seem like a good idea to call old girlfriends in the wee hours. No longer will there be tense arguments with a potted palm in the lobby of a Fairfield Inn that ends with at least one party soaked in urine. To quote Ecclesiastes, some say that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but to he who wakes up without stains of dubious origin on his personage. Still, we dance the dance, my friend. No longer will I write ditties to your acclaim, such as it is said that the yellow rose of Texas bests the bells of Tennessee. But after four Blackberry Steel Reserves, the yellow rose of Shreveport was good enough for me. We dance the dance. Oh, that was beautiful. Companion. We... Commit your high gravity to the ground, ashes to ashes, something to something. Amen. First of all, doctor, that was um, beautiful. I need a minute. Okay, all right. Nobody spent more time on the steel pony uh, riding through the flaming gates of hell than... uh, drinking steel reserves and you and me together. Uh, it first burst on the market in 1994 and we never looked back. Uh, the 211 mark 
based on the medieval symbol for steel, appeared only on cans of steel reserve high-gravity lager. I may not or may have at one point uh, in the early 2000s gotten the 211 symbol tattooed somewhere on my body, very privately, perhaps, within my no-no square, perhaps. But no, no. No, no, you shall not quench our thirst with your bitter, harsh, yet highly intoxicating, uh, lustful drips any longer. Uh, now I can't help but wonder what it was all for. I don't know. Uh, you made a beautiful quote earlier, Doctor. I'm reminded now of Mark Twain. I think he said something like, I go to heaven for the climate. I go to hell for the company. And my God, me and Steel Reserve went through bouts of adventures in the pits of hell uh, for well over two decades. And um, I'm sorry. I, it's going to be missed. It's going to be missed, okay? I hope, my, I hope that my eulogy was appreciated. It, I'll be honest, I was expecting a little more effort, but you, you, did, you, did, you did really good, Doctor. Firstly, I think you saved the line. I think they're going to bring it back because of that. I'm teasing, Doctor. That was, that was, that was uh, God. If someone would give half a good a speech at that at my funeral, I'll, I'll be shocked from beyond the grave. That was beautiful, gorgeous. Thank you. You're like a you're like a, a tipsy Walt Whitman. What was that lyric that you wrote about the bells of Shreveport? Can I hear that again? Uh, it's a poem. Some say that the yellow rose of Texas bests the bells of Tennessee. You're familiar with the song The Yellow Rose of Texas, of course. Yes, yes, yes. But after three or four Blackberry Steel Reserves, I met the yellow rose of Shreveport and she was good enough for me. I dig it. Well, when I heard the news, you can imagine I I raced out uh, to my local convenience stores. I, I I will admit, since Cody made me betray my lifetime lifetime lover and switched me into the dangerous world and seductive world of IPAs, I haven't gone to my steel mistress as much as I used to. Uh, so I, I spent a good part of uh, this afternoon scouring local convenience stores. Uh, actually, forgot to pick up my kids from school, but this was these are di- these are disappearing. My kids will be found someday, and I think we we actually got a lead on them. I think I know where they are. We should I should be getting a text here soon. But I found I found uh, the, maybe the last remaining little pocket of my my shiny little friends, and uh, so many good times. Probably none that we want to air publicly here on the show, Doctor. But uh, so many goddamn good memories uh, fueled by Steel Reserve. And, yeah, the news just came down. Uh, the bastards up at the top uh, don't think it's worthy of worthy of being on shelves anymore. And while I didn't buy it, it was never far from my heart. And like we do when something leaves our lives that has a significant importance, Oh my God! A steel reserve booting. We. I knew this day would come. Oh dear God. No, I've actually been drinking the the, the can as you did your poem, so I, I'm not going to be chugging an entire steel reserve. Uh, that much looks dangerous. But uh, it, it's 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 a shoe of remembrance. It's like a clog. It's a clog of remembrance. A booty. A booty. It's a it's a clog of remembrance. 
Um, so now, by chugging the boot of remembrances, we have way, way too many times here on the show. I will be releasing Steel Reserve, Steel Reserve High Gravity Malt Liquor uh, from Purgatory. It's no longer at 7-Eleven. It's mm. no longer floating, confused, and lost above, which that serves it right. How many times it left us floating, confused, and lost? Um, and I thought for sure in your poem, Doctor, you're going to mention how many mornings I woke up just br- laying on top of my mailbox. I tried to leave you out of this. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, but by me chugging this, it will go to the land of all those other great things that have gotten us fucked up over the years that have disappeared It'll be up. It'll be playing up in the fields with Zima and Zima. <laughs> I, I had to think about. It. I'm like, oh wait, no, they still make uh, uh, High Life and and uh, Banquet Beer. Yeah, we, we, this is pretty much the only thing we, the only beer we've ever lost, Doctor. It is. <clears throat> so, boys, say a prayer for Steel Reserve and. Considering what I'm about to do, say a prayer for me, will you? And I need you now, tonight. And I need you more than ever. And we'll only be making it right. And we'll never be wrong. Cage drinking steel reserve. Good night. Good night, sweet prince. Nice choice of soundtrack there. I like that. Yeah, that actually helped a lot, Doctor. Thank you. That was actually. What if it's all just a ploy? What if in a few weeks' time on the shelves there's now new steel reserve? But it's going to taste horrible. Not that it would be that, but different from regular steel reserve. I want some credit for this. This this brought it back. And I didn't even work from the paper. I memorized the damn thing. Well, listen, uh, as cigar guys, I know a lot, myself included, a lot of uh, cigar guys collect. Precious cigars, collectible cigars, limited cigars. And like, I'm putting this away for, you know, my daughter's graduation. My So in anticipation of one day, my oldest daughter's wedding day, when I sit back after the ceremony and light up a cigar, I will be pulling this Steel Reserve Blue Raz out of a cooler. By then, it'll probably be, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, if I'm lucky. And uh, I will share this with uh, my my son-in-law's dad. I'll be like, I have a little moment for us to to share. And if he agrees to drink this with me, I'll know that we just got in bed with a really shady family. Uh, <laughs> also, by then it would just be still vinegar. Well, let it be. Let it be. Malt vinegar. Do you guys want me to fill the boot with this and drink it? I'll do it. No, no, you need to you need to save it. Okay, okay, okay. But not for fifteen years. Fifteen minutes. I was gonna say uh, all we know it has a shelf life that could outlast the human race. That's true. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll get to that later. All right, boys. Uh, well, thank you, listeners. I'm sorry to start the show on such a downer. Jeez. Uh, as America's number one, fuck America, as the world's number one cigar beer and film party podcast you come to us for the good times you come to us for the party and i promise we're going to turn this around right now no more talking about malt liquor no more talking about my no no square it is time to welcome everyone to the tuesday night cigar club episode 144 144 boys our reserve here in the 
corner of no hope is still strong as steel and it shall remain that way for at least another one or two episodes. That I can say with a hundred percent of 90% confidence. Sure. That makes sense, but somehow it does. You guys ready to smoke a cigar, drink some uh, craft beers. Would that make you two snobs and the other squares happy? We drink some craft beers. I'm and, good. Uh, I'm good with yes. this. And talk it's about totally a movie. Well. Talk about a movie? Well, if we must, we must. All right. It's, oh, I must. I, I must. Gotta, I got to say, though, this is going to be really weird because I've never drank Steel Reserve and done anything productive. So uh, this is the first. Why change now? This is the first for me. Uh, this is going to be epic. After drinking a whole steel and then doing a two and a half hour podcast, I'm going to be like the Chuck Yeager of malt liquor. I'm going to be like the Brian Boitano of getting fucked up. Ah, that'd be that's that's more accurate. I was trying to like I was trying to put it on the scale. Are you the Billy D. Williams of malt liquor though? Oh no 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 that's 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 high. Yeah. How about I'm the Buzz Aldrin of doing stupid shit? Uh, I knew the minute I tried to compare myself to the first guy to land on the moon, you'd get attitude. No, there's no attitude. Disagreeing with you. That aggression is the steel talking. (laughs) It totally is. It's been so long since I drank it, I forgot how it makes me all testy and like... (laughs) <laughs> want, to, want, want to fight, dudes? Oh god! We're never making it through this show. How many did you have? Half what's a can. What's that, supposed to mean? what's that supposed to mean? No, I actually drank a whole can. I'll be fine. And he's ready to fight, dudes. I'm just teasing. I'm not fighting any dudes. Just tense arguments with the potted palms. I'm just teasing. All right. Well, let's get right to it, uh, guys. I'm actually going to let, uh, because our cigar tonight is very tiny, uh, and I know that if we light it now, it'll be done with Tut before Cody t- introduces the beers. Usually we do the cigar first. I'm going to, let's do the beers first. That tracks. That tracks. Let's do the beers. Right. Uh, Yagboy, uh, while I pour a, a, a an actual beer for the night, stay away from me. The doctor, I'm going to give his vocal cords a rest after that. Gorgeous soliloquy he just delivered. Uh, why don't you tell us what Tut's drinking tonight to pair with? Well, the cigar we're doing is the uh, T1110 uh, Kappa Special by Tatuaje. And the movie, just so you know where the beers are, are coming from, is a brand new spanking movie called Night Drive. Night Drive. What is Tut drinking, Yak Boy? He is drinking from St. Arnold's Brewing, located in wonderful Houston, Texas, the Art Car IPA. I've heard good things. Art Car is a 7.2%, 55 IBUs. It's wonderful, delicious. Made, like I said, made by St. Arnold, uh, which is the oldest craft brewery in texas started back in 1994 uh, and of course we are no uh we have known saint arnold's products many a time all the way back to episode 13 
reviewed Can't Buy Me Love, and we did the Miodora Cigar, reviewed that with their lawnmower, fancy lawnmower, excuse me. Quite tasty. And I think you're having the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the, the cat's out of the bag. I also am drinking the uh, Art Car IPA. Uh, the Art Car, by the way, is a car that's featured in Houston, Texas, where I lived for a decade and where uh, St. Arnold's is based. And it's basically this car that every year they uh, artists paint. Uh, oh, okay. I, think, I, think, I, think, I think it's a Volkswagen Beetle, if my memory serves me right. Um, but every year they, they repaint it and let local artists decorate it. And that's kind of the, uh, a local Houston thing, the art car. So that's, that's the inspiration for the name of, you know, the hometown brewers thing. I, I actually, I say this every time we do St. Arnold's, I'm amazed at how far they've come. Um, when I lived there, my wife was in school and a lot of her functions were at St. Arnold's and it was in a warehouse. It was like a, an industrial complex they had like two picnic tables and a couple taps. And now it is literally like two city blocks. It is like a beer garden that can fill 2000 people playgrounds and, you know, a huge kitchen. And it's just amazing to me how big it's blown up. Um, but I remember that I haven't had this in a long time, but I remember it being good. And uh, just off the initial aroma and my first sip, it is, it is very refreshing. Cut, you getting that smell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was 7.1, so I'm going to pump the brakes on this car. Doctor, he wouldn't last a day in Steel Reserve City. No, I, I like it. There, There is a little punch to it, but there's also some heftiness to it. There's a little malty flavor to it. So There's, there's a tinge of there's a tinge of malt. Uh, it's got a really nice citrus aroma to it, like some oranges and and uh, a little bit of papaya. But uh, man, I don't find it malty at all after that initial sip. I, I it's got a little bit of floral to it, but man, it's just a really it's a great summertime IPA. Uh, yeah, it's easy drinking right now. Whatever this uh, cigar gives us, I think I think we'll be okay with the art car. I think and so. of course, and of course, Tut and I both selected it because. There's a lot of driving in, imagine this, the movie Night Drive. Uh, they spend a lot of time in the car. And I don't know about you guys, but in my opinion, before we get into the film, I happen to think this film is uh, pretty good art. I, I think there's uh, a lot going on above the normal uh, shit we see in cinema in this movie. So this this beer made sense for on a lot of levels for me. Tut just turned up his nose at that description. Uh, I feel a discussion coming on. I'm no, I, on, I, to be honest, I chose it just simply because you chose it, and I, it was in the it was available up here. So is, I was like, you know what'd be cool? It'd be kind of cool to have the same beer and talk about the like, same notes again. It is like the old pre-COVID days when we sat together here in the Corno Hope and. All drank the same beer. I, I welcome that. I, I liked it when I saw that you picked the same beer, and I was like, you know what? I think Yak Boy's going to get on board. It's an easy to find beer. He's he's going to do the same thing. We're all on, we're all on the same Art Car IPA train. All right, that's cool. So Yak Boy, yeah. that's what you got, isn't it? No. Oh. I'm just going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop 
this fallout by moving on to the Doctor's fallout. Hey, nice segue. There we are. Great the fallout Hefeweizen by the mm. Manhattan Project Beer Company. Doctor, you've done quite a few of theirs, haven't you? Many, yes. He has. Uh, he did, uh, on episode 122, he did the Necessary Evil. Uh, we did the uh, uh, Protocol. Themis? Uh, Themis? Themis. Themis. Thank you. Uh, when Themis. we reviewed. Themis. That's not Themis? what I said. Themis. No, Themis. Themis. Oh, Themis. Themis. When we reviewed Silent Rage with Chuck Norris. Oh, yeah. But yes, uh, Manhattan Project, uh, let's look into it. The fallout is, uh, five and a half percent ABV and, of course, being half of Ison, zero, low to no IBUs. It's, they, they practically rated it at zero. So. Okay. Any, any hot bite there for you, Doc? None whatsoever. Uh, it's been a while since I've had a Hefeweizen. I thought it would uh, work out well as I needed to have a, for reasons we don't need to go into, I needed to have a, a pregame cocktail of something that was distilled. So I felt this would work out uh, well. Fallout, of course, uh, the Manhattan Project, um, all of their beers have a name similar to uh, the nuclear H-bomb and the, the testing done by, in fact, they even have a uh they have a West Coast IP that's probably my favorite called the Hoppenheimer. <laughs> the yeah. Hoppenheimer created the yeah. cute thing there. Anyway, um, Fallout, uh, I was at the mercy of what was at my local uh, liquor confectionery, but I did think that um, <clears throat> obviously a scientific term for nuclear fallout, um, fallout is often also used as a figure of speech for um, the uh, consequences of one's actions, usually the negative consequences of one's actions. And you may call it a bit of a stretch, but I think in tonight's film, the uh, consequences of one's actions uh, comes into play uh, uh, thematically. Are you saying there's going to be some fallout from one of the character's actions? Uh, I believe there may be. And I think fallout from other actions in general is also discussed. Hmm. Doctor, I think he was setting you up for uh, it's much too early to tell. Oh no! Actually, I wasn't, but oh. know, that would have been that would have been a pro level move. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Totally, I whiffed. God, the eulogy took so much out of me. I, I just, God, the emotional hole I'm feeling in my heart right now. I, doctor, doctor, do you think you're going to be able to bounce back this episode? I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. Okay. But I, I think I think I will. Okay. Okay. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I have not had a Hefeweizen in quite a while, so uh, you could certainly uh, see yourself drinking that. You're you're heading out to Arizona in a few weeks, watch the ball games. That'd be a good baseball stadium beer. This would be a good golf course beer. This would go down pretty easy out on a warm day. Uh, but yeah, the total, as Yax pointed out, it's a Hefeweizen. That total lack of uh, I think because uh, I, I certainly have, have drank more IPAs and more craft beers that are higher in, in bitterness in the last couple of years. So there's a little something lacking there. Uh, uh, yeah, there always is when you get hooked into that that dark underworld, the the dark web of IPAs. It's kind of hard to enjoy. We we were talking the other day, or uh, doctor was telling me, you know, that Yingling was starting to get out there in the 
It finally has arrived in Texas after years and years of trying. Yak Boy just got it at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown Historic, Texas. Says it's selling a lot of pints. People are loving it. Doctor mentioned that he's seeing it up there in bottles. And he asked me about it. And I was like, you know what? I used to love it. Uh, I used to have a friend who would bring me cases from Louisiana whenever they would travel. And uh, when we go to the barn smokers, we we drink it because they uh, participated in some blending seminars and some uh, some customer interaction stuff at the barn smokers. But last time somebody brought us some, we used to get so excited here at the house because we couldn't get in Texas. I just can't drink it anymore. I, I'm just I'm IPA guy. Like it's just <laughs> I, I, I just can't drink a, a straightforward lager. It just it doesn't do anything for me. Anymore. You need to spread the love around, man. There's other yeah. forms of beer. I just like, where's the flavor? Where's the kick me in the nuts? Let me know you're there. You know? Uh, so yeah, uh, I actually have one in the fridge. Maybe I'll try it out later. Uh, okay. Good, uh, just to add one more thing. This would be a really good food beer. I can see this with pizza or wings. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see that really helping uh digest whatever you were eating okay that's a good note that's a good note uh yak boy all that's left is you sir just me just you i am starting with the sitting side haze hazy ipa no label brew sitting side haze sitting Sitting sideways okay but it's inside haze and, and it's got a little car on there. So, you know, there's, there's a, like you just said, there's, there's a car in the thing. There's this a car one, of course, it's the family truckster from yeah. Yeah. Christmas truckster. vacation. So I was like, I couldn't pass that up. And plus, then just the car reference. It, it, well, Tut and I really can't talk shit because that's kind of what. <laughs> <laughs> it does. But, uh, sit inside Hayes, more label brewing. They're uh, located in uh, Katy, Texas. Uh, started back in 2010. Uh, the the side haze is a 6.7 percent, uh, 55 IBUs. Uh, it is the at at the time just there in Katy, which is located also near Houston. Uh, it was the third uh, craft uh, brewing operation to open in the Houston area back in 2010, and of course now there's over 65. Yeah. In in that area, so just in you know eleven years or so, that's how quickly they opened up. But it won't be my only choice for the evening. Of course, my I, I had to get it simply because there's no connection, but just for the name, the McConaughey's. <laughs> All right. Exactly. All right. You know I'm I couldn't help it. That. It was right next to it. I was like, hey, there's one with the car on it. If it wait, what's this? McConaughey's. Hey Yagboy. I was, hey, was kind of Yagboy, oh, you got goodness. a you got a pairing connection? Be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> all I was really hoping for is when I open up the can, is it when you crack that it open, it just goes, all right. Hey, all was, you gotta do is just keep drinking, man. D-R-I-N-K-I-N. <laughs> Hey, this beer has got some fucking muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
Hey, the hops get older, the malts stay the same age. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. See, I knew it was the right choice. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, boy, tell us a little bit about the McConaughey's. (laughs) McConaughey's. And tell us us why Tud hasn't drank it yet. (laughs) That's an excellent question. He, our resident uh, McConaughey fanboy over there. Uh, the It is made by Twisted X Brewing, uh, located in Dripping Springs, Texas, just south of Austin. Oh, they do the uh, Chupa, Chupa Hopra. I think yes. so, yeah. And they also do the jalapeno-infused beer. Yeah. I haven't uh, had we, we, the first, Well, actually, one of the first times we ever had was uh, way back on episode 48, Devil's Candy. The hibiscus ale. How the hell did we <laughs> pair that with the devil's candy? Well, Not it's twi- it's twisted like the devil's twisted. Well, I think uh, it was primarily based more on the cigar than the movie. Oh, okay. the, uh, that alpha uh, absinthe infused cigar. It says it was it was infused beer. Look, look, guys! I was drinking a lot of Steel Reserve at the time. It was uh, early in our career. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was, I, I'll be, I, I was, I was boiling steel reserve in a spoon and freebasing it uh, five nights of the week. I, it's amazing we got to episode fifty. Okay, I'm clean now. Can we just never mention the Devil's Candy episode again? Nope. I respect that. That was actually a really good show. I, I didn't realize we did an absinthe cigar on it and a hibiscus infused uh, beer. Well, I think it was primarily the beer and the cigar was the pairing because they were both infused. Oh, okay. Well, and I'm sure I I'm sure I explained it in a way that made sense to everybody. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Actually, this this I think tonight's show is going to remind me a lot of that show because I think this show is going to be one of those ones where we kind of dig in. Just predicting, I could be wrong. I've been wrong more than I've been right, but. Uh, I remember that show was really digging into the filmmaking aspects of the film and like what we liked uh, just more so than a lot of other films where we just kind of gloss over the, the technical stuff. I God, I'm getting a vibe that Tut hated tonight's film and I kind of hate him for that, but tune in to find out. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, okay. Uh, is, is twisted X is anything else you want to tell us about the McConaughey's? It's tasty. Oh, you've already had it. I did. I thought you were saving it for later in the show. I lied. <laughs> How was I not going to just crack one open immediately? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, boys. Well, now I will introduce the second subject of tonight, the cigar. Tonight we are smoking the Tatuaje T110, the T110 cigar, Capa Especial. Uh, it is a size four and three eighths by 52. This is categorized as a short Robusto. It has an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, Nicaraguan binder and fillers. Um, this is a variation off a very popular limited cigar that Tetuaja made years ago. And this year he put out uh, a variation of the original, which I believe is Habano, uh, Connecticut Broadleaf version. And this is the Sumatra, which... I'll be honest, uh, I picked it because I tend to like Sumatra rappers, and we haven't done a lot on the show recently. Um, So I went with the Sumatra tonight. Um, I'll save price point for later, and you know what? That's kind of all I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, It's got a really 
really nice aroma. What I immediately uh, was drawn to, Tut, remember when you said that running your thumb up and down a cigar, it felt like Indiana Jones jacket. It was just that well-worn leather. Yeah. This I don't remember saying that, but yeah. Uh, maybe I said that. Uh, and I was embarrassed about it, so I attributed it to you. That sounded like a cool thing to say. I would have I would have claimed that was mine. Oh yeah, no, it was me. It was no, me. No, no, no. I, I was totally remember saying it, that. No, it was me. It was me. Yeah, it was a dark night. We were all sitting at the table. Y'all were there. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Yaks probably said it. It probably, you know, at this point it was probably Yaks. But no, it's just got a really a smooth, kind of well worn leather feel to the wrapper. Uh just a really smooth, kind of earthy smell. What are you getting on the cold draw, Tut? Uh, I was getting uh, either a nice tea, but there's a sweetness to it, and dare I say, it borders on sweet raisins. Say it right. Well, because it's I'm not because it borders on it. It's not just sweet raisins. It's just it's right there on the cusp. I think that's why it that's why I attribute it more to a tea type deal, a sweet tea, if you will. I am also getting a slight tea uh, on the cold draw. Uh, also a little bit of a floral component uh, there, but I, I'm getting a little bit of sweetness, Todd. I'm with you on that. Yeah. That could be that, uh, depending where it's from, maybe that maybe some Jalapa, uh, Nicaraguan tobacco in there that I tend to get a little bit of sweetness there. What about you? You actually get anything special? I can agree with tea. Sweetness, not so much, but... Definitely, I can definitely say that that tea component is definitely there. Okay. Well, we're all lighting up, and we should have more for you here in just a few seconds as we set fire to these cute little bastards. It's a very small cigar. And I'm finished. Nice little pop on the nose. Uh, nice little uh, pepper pop on the nose. Draws like a dream. Really smooth draw. Not going to be issues, any issues there. And Man, I, honestly, uh, right now, other than that nice spice on the draw, I'm just getting kind of a, a woodsy, almost a... Kind of a bold cedar note through the through the draw. What about you, Ted? Yeah, uh, it was interesting. I thought I was actually getting, uh, speaking of pops, like a pop of ginger across the palate, but I think it was more just an early stage of that cedar that came across. But I, I literally thought I was like, dude, is that ginger I'm tasting? But it was, it was I think, I think it's more that more in line with that cedar. Um, Man, there's there's something exact there's something on that retro hill. I'm not I'm having a little trouble identifying. That's kind of interesting. Uh, it's not just just the pepper. And uh, there was a uh, it's almost like a cocoa powder aftertaste on the palate, uh, but it's not it's not like a, a you know Nestle Quick type cocoa powder. No, there's a little mild kind of mild milk chocolate there on the back of that cedar. No, I, I can get that. Was I the only one that when Tut said speaking of pop on the red draw, I'm getting notes of Papa John's pizza. Yeah. Uh, 
Let me uh, dye the tips of my my ponytail blonde. Uh, Yak boy, you getting that cedar and mild chocolate on the draw at all? You getting that pepper on the nose? I did get the pepper. Uh, just uh, chocolate. It's it's like that tea. It's I'm I didn't not getting that sweetness, but the chocolate just very faint. Best way to describe it. Oh yeah, there's no sweet. I, I'm not picking up any sweetness yeah. now, now that it's on fire. Tut, I think that is what you're getting combined with that pepper on the on the nose on the back end. Are you getting a little bit of a toasty breadiness on there? Maybe. That, that wasn't what I was hunting for. Kind of like an every, sure what, what maybe an everything bagel. An everything bagel, mm, more like a lox. No, there, there, I, I I thought maybe there there was a little subtle toasty kind of bread note there on the on the mixed in with, on the back end of that pepper spice. Uh, yeah, that cedar is really kicking on that palate now. It is, uh, and it's actually augmented with the uh, with the beer. I actually try to give them a little bit of space because if I if I follow up a cigar right after I drink, it's just nothing but cedar coming through. And it's it's an inter, it's an interesting cigar, so I don't want to just yeah no, know, take lock it in. Well, smoke slow, my friend, and take it easy. I'm and, already done. And uh, just just space it out a little bit. We'll come back to it. Speaking of beers, uh, well, speaking of cigars, as we just explained uh, our initial impressions of the Tatuaje T110. Y'all know who makes some really flavorful cigars, boys? Who's that? That's right, Yakoi. Yeah, Our good friends over at Drew Estate. And one of their most flavorful offerings in their vast portfolio is the Herrera Steli Miami, crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cali Ocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish. Mm. Lavish. Dude, you nailed it last time. I nailed it once last time, and I fucked up the other one. A lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. With select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua, the new look of Herrera Steli Miami features rich black and gold packaging and is available in five sizes. This tasty cigar is now available at Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere, so go get you some. I'd also like to take a moment now to talk about something else very cool, Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. Everyone asking and emailing, where was the doctor last episode? He was in Cigar World. He was at the Testing Lab. He had business to take care of. Uh, How'd that go, doctor? Uh, I am not inclined to say. There's a lot of secret things going on in the lab these days. Oh, HIPAA? You can't really tell us anything? Why are you calling me a hippo? I've been jogging, working out. No, no, it's like a privacy thing with doctors. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you yeah, said. that thing, that thing. Okay. Uh, well, you can sign up at Cigar World to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and actually testing cigars. Check it out at cigarworld.com testing lab, and you might just run into the TNCC's doctor. Never can tell. Never can tell where you'll be. Even uh, I don't know most of the time. Well, now that steel reserves, steel reserves off the shelves, it should be a little bit easier to tell. I might know where I am four or five days out of seven. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, that only leaves us one thing to introduce, boys, and that is tonight's film. 
It is called Night Drive. It is. It was actually completed in 2019, but it just now hit VOD last week. So this is a brand new okay. uh, release. I know, Tut, you like them piping hot and fresh. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I appreciate it. And this is just that. It just came out. Uh, the screenplay was written by Megan Leone, and she also co-directed the film with uh, Brad Baru. I hope I'm saying that right. And she edited the movie as well. So she wrote it, co-directed it, and edited it. Good job. If we end up liking Night Drive, a big chunk of credit must go to Miss Leone for sure. Uh, I'm all about giving credit where credit is due. Shall we? Unfortunately, the name of the movie makes me think of my uh, one of my favorite. uh, uh, Spotify playlist Night Drive, which is all like 80 synth synth wave and new retro wave stuff, and it wasn't in this this film. No, I you know what I kind of expected it to be because that's kind of what all these types of newer movies go to is a synth the synth wave yeah synth wave kind of retro score. But this, this not to get ahead of ourselves, but this score was kind of all over the place. Uh, depending on the mood of the scene, it, it kind of changes drastically. It also features a lot of, because our movie takes place at Christmas time, a lot of traditional Christmas songs. You're going to uh, love this comment, though, because I'm going to go ahead and get a, since we're talking about the music, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and, ahead and spoil it. There, One of the scenes, early scenes, when the tension starts building, it made me think of Underbelly and the work with Fritz and and listening to that undertone score. I was like, I kind of hear that going on here. Uh, Tut, I did not uh, coach you to say that. No, not at all. There's actually quite a few moments in this film that reminded me of my film, Underbelly, which you can watch now on the Tuesday Night Cigar Club's YouTube page. Um, There's a direct moment towards the very end of the film where some dialogue from my film, Underbelly, is pretty much word for per word uh, used in the end of this film. And I, I found that since I was already seeing some kind of, uh, like you said, a few things that reminded me of my movie. Maybe that's why I like this movie so much. It reminds me, <laughs> reminds me of me and my ego knows no bounds. All right. Well, let's, let's get things going here. Uh, some funky Christmas, speaking of music, some funky Christmas inspired music with an up-tempo drum beat and some sleigh bells starts playing as our film uh, gets things started. It's December 22nd in Los Angeles, and we're tagging along with Uber Driver, although for legal purposes here in this film, it's called Jaunt. Uh, Not Uber, Jaunt. Uh, Jaunt Driver Russell, played by maybe my favorite working American actor today, A.J. Bowen. Uh, We featured him several times here on the show before when we discussed films such as The Guest, he was uh, the FBI guy's handler who was, like, always bumbling his, like, travel. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But, dude, you he was the main guy in The Sacrament, the documentary filmmaker who went to the Jim Jones Island. He was the, the lead interviewer, the, the star of The Sacrament that we did. Oops. That, that I remember. Uh, I'll, I'll get uh, <clears throat> chastised a little bit for still not having seen The Guest. Um, oh. But uh, he was a good movie, man. Um, So I guess he kind of has a 
a partnership with, I guess, is it a Ty West? Okay. He, he, he was also in a really good movie. You should check out House of the Devil by Ty West. But he was also in two brilliant. Well, I'll say one was brilliant. One was fun. Uh, Adam Wingard, who directed The Guest, his first uh, real kind of indie movie, A Horrible Way to Die. Yeah. A serial killer movie starred A.J. Bowen as the serial killer. And that's where I first fell in love with this actor. But then in one of his previous uh, later films, uh, You're Next, which actually went to theaters, uh, he played a smaller role in that. And I just fucking love this actor. And I literally picked this movie tonight. I didn't pick it sight unseen. I watched it because he was in it. Yeah. And that actually says a lot because there's not a lot of actors out there these days that I'll watch a movie just because they're in it. But I just, I've always really liked this dude and I had high hopes uh, going into this because he was a part of it. Uh, And he was great in the sacrament, uh, Tut. Yeah, no, no. I remember really liking the movie. I liked all of it. Um, I think why I don't remember, uh, why I don't remember him is that he was overshadowed by the June Jones actor. That dude delivered just a gangbuster performance. Well, that guy was was responsible for eating up the scenery. This guy was, you, he had to be more grounded and. Not... And he provided the foundation for the other dude to eat. And exactly. hasn't hasn't, hasn't uh, Bowen pretty much always had a beard in all of his previous stuff too? Seems the, like it. The first one I can remember, where he was unshaved, where he was clean shaven. I mean. Yeah, it seems like he's always. Are you saying that's why I like him, Doctor? Because he's got a beard like me. No, I was saying that might be why Tuttle failed to recognize. Oh, because he was clean. So, oh, okay, okay. So, uh, thank you for reserve aggression coming but, out. But thank uh, you for providing me cover. Uh, I'm sure that's <laughs> the reason why I didn't recognize him. That that was the steel reserve time. I, I understand the steel reserve aggression and realize that I'm going to have to overcompensate <laughs> for it. I know it. Like I said, I've and I'm going to be honest. I've done this dance. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I kind of understand why they took it off the market. You call it a psycho. Say anything to you. So Russell is driving around uh, all around Los Angeles, picking up passenger after passenger in his shiny white Porsche SUV. He's friendly enough to his passengers, even if they all make the same small talk with him over ride after ride after ride. How long you been doing this? Do you drive for any other companies? What's the furthest drive you've ever done? This is why I don't believe in small talk. Every day, it's the same old, same old from these people. But he, you know what? He even somehow keeps a smile on his face as a fat Santa gets mayonnaise from his Subway sandwich all over Russell's back seat. Hey, he's cool with it. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Night comes, and as Russell's on his way to a Christmas party, he gets a notification on his John app that a woman named Charlotte has requested to be picked up from a rather shady part of los angeles i just want to mention here before we get any further that the cinematography in tonight's film by co-director brad baru is gorgeous the camera movements are smooth and purposeful it's all very well choreographed and for all the interior car footage involved they shoot it all very traditionally there's no shaky handheld back and forth driver to passenger totally appreciate that and all of the exterior shots of Los Angeles are wide and well-framed and just really beautifully shot. 
And I also dug the use of establishing shots throughout the movie. Before we'd go into another scene, we'd get a shot of the, the skylight, yeah. uh, you know, with a, a street sign in the, in, the, in the foreground. You don't see those little touches enough, those little aesthetic editing touches anymore. Simply stated, I love the look of this film. And I was curious, Todd, if you would agree, because it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I don't understand why there's a trend away from the establishing shot, because I love it as a scene setter. It gets me in there and it gets me kind of prepared for what's what's might be transpiring next. And I agree with you. I like the I love the fact that they didn't go handheld through the car rides, which you see quite a bit. This was all very, very smoothly done. And, you know, I, I even like a lot of the color choices here. Uh, again, my mind just simply because of the uh, because of the title was thinking retro wave, and I was kind of I was half expecting to see you know the pinks and oranges really popping almost to a neon type setting, and they never did that. It was shot very very precisely. I, I appreciated it. Uh, also, it was- too, I think, uh, and of course we had, we had a friend, uh, Cade, that lived in L.A. for many years, but. Um, L.A. really has, I don't know, I've only been there once, but from what I understand it, um, obviously it's one of the largest cities, but there's also a sprawl to it as compared to like Manhattan, the actual island. It isn't that large. It's just everybody's crammed in on it. There, there's a real kind of urban sprawl to L.A. That they, those it's not, help that. It's not, I agree. It's not dense by any means. You're right. It, it, it's, there's no, there's not that. Even Houston has that density of the downtown to it, uh, like New York City. And then, you know, much more so with Houston as you kind of get out of downtown proper. But L.A. is just I, I don't know if it's the flatness of the the landscape. But, yeah, it did seem like while we were there uh, and, you know, I've only been out there, what, twice, I think, two or three times. Uh, you can be in the heart of Hollywood and a couple blocks away, you feel like you're uh, in a small Place neighborhood. Else. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really unique that way, and I and I dig that a lot about LA. So the young Australian millennial Charlotte gets in Russell's Porsche, and they're off. She's a little taken aback by the Porsche, for one thing. And she doesn't understand how he got such a good driver rating. Uh, how'd you get 4.9 stars without offering any bottled water or lollipops? But he explains that it's his charm that gets him his high ratings and all the f- positive feedback. So they head to her destination at Water Village. And all- along the drive, he offers up his USB port. That's not a euphemism. He offers up his USB port if she'd like to plug in her phone to play her own music during the drive. But she says, fuck no. She actually goes on this like thing about what a sociological experiment that would be to have every passenger plug in their phone and listen to their playlist and what that could tell you about. But she, he's like, well, go for it. And she's like, oh, God, no. She admits that Coldplay's Yellow would most certainly come on her shuffle first. And he grimaces at the thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, he asks her how old she is. And she asks, what year is it again? He laughs. He tells her it's 2018, to which she says that she's 22. She guesses, he's like, how old do you think I am? And she guesses 55, and he freaks out. A.J. Bowen's around our age, so he's, he's a good decade younger than, than 55. Uh, 
but I thought that was a, a little funny moment. Charlotte tells him that her uncle uses just for men hair dye. It works wonders. She's having fun uh, playfully getting under Russell's skin. It's going to be a long ride, he sighs. Dude, Charlotte's sassy. She's got a stunning smile when she occasionally shares it. And I thought she was quite pretty. Wouldn't you agree, Doctor? Oh, I thought she was a fox, man. I Wait, can I say that? Is that still allowed? I think you're allowed to say she's a foxy. Uh, she, she, yeah, very easy on the eyes was young Charlotte. Uh, very spunky. I thought she played the role very well, but yeah, she's definitely attractive. I did. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, complex character to play. I thought, that, I thought this young actress did, did very well. Uh, real quick, because this cigar is so tiny, we've introduced our two main characters. They're in the car together. Uh, Tut, I am picking up something else on that draw. Are you? Uh, I'm, I'm actually getting headlong into your uh, breaded toast note on the, on the palate. Uh, it's all over the place now. I am getting uh, that bread on the back end of the pepper on the retro hail. And then along with that cedar and that little tiny bit of mild chocolate is sticking around there, but it's very dry. There's no sweetness to it whatsoever. It's just, you just kind of get that chocolate. I'm getting something else. I, I, it's like a mineral or a, it's almost like a kind of a metallic, um, Yeah, I think it's hiding out there. It's hot. There's something. But that definitely makes. I'm wondering if the years is if y'all were going to be tasting similar things. But that Ooh, you mentioned the metallic. You mentioned the metallic, and I do have something like that now. I'm about halfway, and the breadiness. Nah, it's 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 flat. The spice is still there. Yeah, the chocolate. I'm. It has been hit or miss. I had it a little bit at the the beginning and then it sort of faded out kind of getting somewhere in that but you know i was getting that and like you just said that mineral thing but i was like you know this is not i wasn't expecting it to have a mineral or well it's got nicaraguan binder and filler so yeah well, yeah but i didn't think it was going to be as prevalent i guess yeah but then again you know hearing y'all describe stuff i was like i started thinking well y'all y'all both have the same beer so maybe you're getting I don't think I'm getting metal from the beer, no. I, but you said he acts that metal makes sense. You did have that steel reserve. I did, I did drink a steel <laughs> reserve. <laughs> I'm getting notes of steel. Pittsburgh hammered American made steel on the draw. But you said, yeah, well, you said you that metallic element in the cedar and the, uh, yes. that actually you kind of got a little bit of that too. I did. And I was wondering, because, you know, you were describing things, but then I'm like, it's like, you know, is my beer making me taste something so radical? But it's not something I'm opposed to. It's it's kind of an interesting, uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, note to get. So, uh, okay, well, that's that's delivering something new here in that middle, that middle section. So uh, if it's cool with you guys, uh, I'll keep, and by the way, my beer, Tud had mentioned maybe the beer might separated a little bit. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting any conflicts between the art car IPA and this, and this, uh, I'm not, it's not all the, the citrus and, and hops and malts. They're, they're not transferring to the cigar at all, but they're also staying completely out of the cigars way. I, I think it's a good pairing beer. See, that's weird because I think it's actually enhancing the cedar. I think that that's, I think it's pumping it up a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, we shall return shortly. Um, 
back to the film. Charlotte asked if Russell would mind uh, waiting for her outside her destination for five minutes and then take her somewhere else. But when he tells her that she'll have to go back into the John app, type in a second destination, she just slides him a hundred dollar bill into the front seat. And all of a sudden he's cool with the breach and protocol. Take all the time you need. I'll be here. He says, when he mentions that, you know, I actually do have a Christmas party to go to later though. She slides him another hundred dollar bill and problem solved. He says, I'm yours for the night. No biggie. Where's this young chick getting this kind of cash? Why is this guy with a shiny Porsche SUV SUV driving for jaunt? There's so many questions at this point uh, and, and not a lot of answers, but that's okay. We're still in the beginning of the film. So they pull up to a normal looking house in the suburbs and she tells Russell to be sure and leave the car running. She'll be right back. And sure enough, how come every time I tell you guys to stay outside with the car running, you guys give me the business about it? Um, that would just be experience with you. Oh, right. My previous actions? Yes. You give Russell a second chance to wait outside, and he's probably going to pass on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also looked like one of those low-slung L.A. houses that looked like it probably cost a pretty penny. Yeah. Like, I don't uh, know the neighborhood. I actually watched something, ironically, not to get into it, but it was on the one of those channels that does shows on mobsters, and there was this guy that in the 90s uh, it was like this terrible gangster that, that his gang ran Atwater Village. But apparently that's like where also the neighborhood that Leonardo DiCaprio grew up in. Uh, he was like from a middle-class family, so it's not like a rundown but it is in Los Angeles proper. But the house that they drive up to kind of looked like a nice, nice house. That's one of the things that I liked about uh, their setting choices is that they didn't go for either sexy L.A. or ghetto L.A., which you it's, always see. You always see the choices. You either see all, high rise or slum. This was like all this is a good mix of properties. I liked it. Well, but it was a good mix in that it was but it was they were all just residential, one story, you know, two, three bedroom houses on quiet. Normal housing. Where are we normal housing? Normal. It's almost like that's where the filmmakers lived and they could use their own houses in this low budget Uh film. (laughs) And Doctor, I believe Leonardo DiCaprio grew up in the Siebers house. Uh with Mike Boner and uh, that is true. That is true. You're speaking of the fictional TV show Growing Pains. I thought I would inject some of the knowledge I learned from a real life incident uh, that I watched on on. Uh, I, I tease, I tease. That was good knowledge. It was good knowledge, especially Atwater Village. What are the odds? Uh, it really, when she said that, it, it was very interesting. I'd, ne- I'd never heard of Atwater Village before uh, tonight's film. Well, sure enough. She's inside less than a minute before Charlotte emerges from the front door carrying a hard-shelled makeup case, and she jumps in the passenger seat and yells at Russell to floor it as a young guy her age comes sprinting out of the house in his pajamas after. They almost crash into another car as they pull out of the driveway, but they're able to get away with the dude eventually giving up his foot chase halfway down the street. Charlotte's nose is bleeding. Russell guesses correctly that her ex-boyfriend hit her. But she refuses to go to the police station. She says instead, I need a drink. All right. Get behind that. All right. And before I take a show timeout, let me just take a timeout right here. Because as I've mentioned before, 
one thing that you have to give any movie props for is if you start asking yourself questions while you're watching it, what would I do in this situation? No matter what it is. You love that. Whether whether you're fighting the aliens with Michael Bean or whether you're here. And as you pointed out, AJ Bowen is similar to our age. Uh, this is where I'm taking a timeout. Now, I'll admit, and th- I, this might be a larger point for later on or at some point, I would never uh, work for a rideshare company, even if I uh, lost my job and couldn't find another profession, one of my career, and had to find a lower paying uh, non-white collar occupation. I was, still wouldn't do that. I'd find something else. But and maybe it's just past experience. At this point, if I'm his character, and I know we haven't learned much about his actual character at this point. Or hers. Or hers. It's it's time out here. I'm already feeling a little suspicious when she gives me the money and says, wait outside. That's a giant. In fact, while you were saying it, I almost went, warning. But that's that's a giant warning. At this point, she comes out, go, 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 blood on her mouth, and that dude comes running out. I realize his Porsche probably doesn't have any jet button that he can push. I'm getting rid of this bitch as soon as I can, one way or the other. Well, doctor, let me just counter that. That's fair, but let me just counter this. If characters in movies behaved in every situation like us, we'd have a lot of 10-minute movies. Uh, yeah, but I, 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 I usually side with Doc when he mentions this because I always kind of like, you know, what, what is, what is rational and what's irrational, and you know, to me, there's a fine line. Like you can push the circumstance so much to where it just breaks rationality, and you're like, come on, man, that doesn't seem like what this character would do. And you've set you've set this guy up as a goody two shoes, nice, good, likable guy. Now the reason why I'm hanging on at this point is that I think the dude he's a Lyft driver. He probably doesn't have any excitement. And now this hot young thing comes in giving him money, and there's this whole thing. Of course, he doesn't have a lot of time to react right now. He just says he just hears go go go. Guy starts chasing him, so he floors it. Now, Donald, later on, we'll see whether I, I'm hanging in there with him. But for but, right now, I'm going to be okay. And I'm, I, I'm not complaining when you say that, Cade. Like, you're right. I'm not complaining that it should have done what I did. Like I said, it, it's it's making me put, – it's putting me – this movie is drawing me in to the what would I do situation. Which is which is a positive. That, that, that is an overwhelming positive. It always is. I'm just sitting here going at some point – this is where I start thinking to myself, bitch crazy. I, I don't know. I don't know if at some point I just kind of lean over and go, Hey, what's that? Open the door and shove her out. <laughs> There's just so many ride share stories from Uber drivers. So much worse than this. You would. Well, think- yeah. And I, that's what I'm going to say is he's been doing this where he's got himself a, a 4.9 star rating. On this app. He's done it for a while. He's established himself. He knows the ins and outs, and he's going to have dealt. And it's first of all, it's Los Angeles. I'm sure he's had to have dealt with day drinking, whatever. 
and obviously messy Santa in the background with this sandwich and people asking him stupid questions or the same question. So it's just one of those things where I was more expecting him to be like, well, that's about the third time this week. And I'm with I'm with Yax there in that this is L.A. This can't be the first chick who's gotten into his ride share with a bloody nose from a escaping an a, a, an well, abusive it also says he Sounds like the after party after show of a TNCC podcast. Well, yeah, he he accepted the cash money oh so quickly. So that means he's used to this. Yeah, I mean he's been doing it for a while, and I and I just got the idea of this isn't the first chick who's left some kind of abusive situation and gotten into his car. And when he, she says she needs a drink and she slid 200 bucks to him for the night. All right. I know a place nearby where we can get a drink. Let's let's, I, he, he's a nice guy. So let's go with, let's move forward. Well, you know what? I, I, uh, technically fulfilled our contract and I still got a Christmas party. I got to go to How about another hundy for Tutty. That would have been a consummate businessman right there. Actually, the first hundy was to take her away from the, the the house. The second hundy was for him to stick around. So she doesn't owe you any more hundies, Todd. No, I get I get another hundy somewhere out of it. Uh, is that what you're calling it these days? That's what the kids are calling it. So Russell takes her to a very quiet. They're local- not really calling it that. Uh, you would know. You're back in college. We don't know what the kids are saying. Uh, I still don't know what the kids are saying. <laughs> He takes her to a very quiet, low-key bar nearby for a drink. They're the only ones sitting at the bar. And I loved the aesthetic look of this particular bar a lot with the strings of Christmas lights shining from behind the liquor bottles. And then they had that tempered cathedral glass behind it where those Christmas lights were also. Doctor, if you remember, A.J. Bowen's first film with Adam Wingard, uh, Horrible Way to Die, it's kind of it's known for the only lighting they used in the film as Christmas lights, which this kind of brought me back to where it all started for him. But I, I just love the look. It kind of reminded me of the pirate bar with Chalice and Halloween three. It was just a, a really cool, quiet, dark bar. I love the look of this bar. I don't know. Chalice uh, bar was more depressing, but yeah, I can see that. Well, far more because Chalice was doing shots at 11 in the morning. <laughs> uh, Hey, if they had Uber back then, you know he was taking Uber back to the hospital. Um, well, they both get a pint, and Russell toasts to world peace. Uh, okay, she sighs, unimpressed. He's drinking a half pint to every one of her sips, and while he's drinking, he reveals that he used to share an office space right down the street here, uh, and it was there that he developed the popular travel app Far Away, which she's heard of. She's like, oh, wow, that impresses her. But then he tells her that his business partner bought him out right before going public with the company and making millions. Ouch. That would explain your sweet ride, she says. Yeah, probably not the best way to drop 70K, Russell says, as he takes another giant gulp of beer. Listen, he tells Charlotte, you're still a zygote. One day you'll look back on that one moment where you picked the path of least resistance and everything just went to shit. But I hope I'm wrong, he adds with a smile. You paid me for fun. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to drag you down down too far here. Bowen's so damn good here because he doesn't play this as a sad drunk. He keeps the character affable, likable, and interesting. 
And being a millennial, we can tell that Russell's sad life story is boring Charlotte to death. She likes to do the talking, not listen to someone else talking. So he apologizes to her. Uh, He notices her forearm tattoo that reads, this too shall pass. Ah, the only phrase that can make a happy man sad and a sad man happy. And this explanation actually gets her to grin. You're so worldly, Rusty. Let's get out of here, she tells her driver. You know what? I don't do an English accent. I always do my English accents as Australian accents. We finally have an Australian chick here tonight. I'll try it. You're so worldly, Rusty. No, I'm not going to do that because that. She's a really cute chick. I don't want to throw my, my crocodile Dundee on her. As gravely as that. Yeah, that doesn't work. I'm just going to do her as an American if that's cool. Just picture what I'm saying as her as, a, as an Australian. Uh, she tells, let's get out of here. She wants to drive, seeing as how he's had two beers. Hold uh, up, because I do, I do, do want to mention. Yeah. Dude is really good. He's fucking Rusty is really, really good. I really enjoyed his side of the banter. Uh, I just, there is a coolness to his delivery that walks that line of energetic, but not too energetic, uh, purposeful, but not over the top. I mean, I never got drawn out of anything because of him. I was like, he's, he's just so good at his delivery. If anything, Tut, I get drawn more in to the conversation because of his delivery, his nuances, it all is so natural and every movie he's in, it's so different. You can really tell that he's created a character and he thinks about every expression and every delivery. And we just don't see that a lot. No. And I just, I just love watching this guy on film. I agree. I, and, I, I really and, did, did enjoy I, him on this. I can't say the same about the actress playing Charlotte, but I will say this. She's much younger, and as a testament to a young actress, she holds her own. She's, she, she, she's doggy paddling frantically to stay up with this guy, but she doesn't, she doesn't sink any scene she's in. Okay, well, since you said that, uh, I have some issues with her character but i don't know the production well enough to know whether i have issues with her delivery or the character writing or the direction of her character uh i think that she might actually be a decent little actress in the making i don't know whether it was directing or or just the writing but there's Something about her character that fails for me, and I'll get into it a little bit later. I don't want to get into it now. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sold that she is an actress is the cause of it. Interesting divergence of opinion because, well, I uh, have also been a fan of Bowen's for many years. Uh, I thought that she absolutely did more than hold her own. And if I'm sitting here, my thought is that she did. My, my opinion is she did exactly what she was told to do. And I think that without getting ahead of ourselves, what, what we eventually learn from the climax of the film, it actually makes some of her characters actions and delivery make more sense And if there's anything at fault, this is where I really credit Bowen and her 
And what, what's her? It's like Sophie something. We need to start saying her name. What is it, Kate? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'll look it up. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I, I think that a testament to both of them, not just Bowen, but her as well, is some of this dialogue for me was in dangerous was was in danger of not working in the hands of lesser actors. Um, I, I I think they I think the two of them I, I think she I think she held up with him and and did it. Uh, since you since since Sophie, you said that and you Sophie, went there, I Sophie, want to Sophie Delaw uh, Dalla is the name of the the young actress. Oh, Sophie, then uh, yeah, I thought she more than held her own because okay, I, since I, I was going to hold off, but since you went there, I agree with you. I think that she did what she was told. That's why I didn't want to throw her under the bus. I do kind of disagree with you, though. I, I To me, the dialogue doesn't work. To me, I was starting to see the script writer on this part. I liked him, but it's her stuff that I don't like. It, but, I again, I understand how her character develops, and I understand why she's saying the things she's saying. It's just something about the delivery, something about the poise that I just don't sync up with her character. Well, let me let let me whether or not that I'm I'm sorry, you're you're questioning whether or not Tut, you're you're unsure whether or not that's her fault or not, is what you're saying. No, 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 no. I know it's not her fault. It's either the writing or the director. Let me just get our audience a little more more of her character because we haven't really seen a yeah, lot from her. Yeah, that's why point. that's why I was trying to hold off a little bit. But do you think Tut that there's a chance that what was maybe or actually this is maybe more of a chance for uh, an opportunity for the doctor because I, I thought the, the dialogue in the script was really, really good. Do you think that maybe the more ingratiating for us as mid forties guys to listen to and to see her deliver is because that's the same reaction we have listening to millennials talk to us in our daily lives. And she pulled it off so well and it was written so well that you get the same kind of that, that black cloud of dread whenever a millennial sits down next to you at the pub and starts talking Cause it's so that. And Let me tell you something, Cade. It's so that, and it's so, but but that for cinema, in that it's 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 stories and it's things that make sense. Whereas in our lives, they these chicks usually make no sense. But I but I think it's a balance of of her delivering this dialogue, and I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves this early. So let's just take a step back. Uh, because I'm almost done with the cigar. Uh, I'm actually, I, I listened to you. I am, I'm slow burning it. I, I'm in the last third, uh, but it, it, it is. I, I'm less than that. I'm <laughs> being okay. okay. Uh, Yak boy, are you getting anything? I knew this cigar was going to go quick. Are you getting anything in this final third that we haven't talked about before? The, the peppers hung around that metallic mineral has really dialed itself up towards the end here. It's standing but, toe-to-toe with the cedar in the in the Yeah. The and now that the breadiness part of that has actually really here in this last third 
picked up and and rode and and finished it out with the with the that spice. mineral. Uh, yeah, the, the, the breadiness on the back end of the, of the retro, uh, I agree, has picked up a lot in the final third. They're almost dancing partners at that point, equals. Um, and then that cedar and that really unique uh, mineral metallic note has, has really become amplified in the, in the final third. Construction has been amazing. I mean, I've been talking my ass off. There's been no relights. It's a super straight burn line. Yeah. Um, smooth draw. Uh, man, it's a it's been a really interesting, fun little cigar. Um, before we move on, because I once we get in this movie, I think we're going to want to keep on going. Do you are you comfortable to at this point talking price point? Yeah, uh, I just want to say that uh, Tatuati is not a brand that's often in my wheelhouse. Uh, there's only been one that uh, I've I've really gravitated to of the brand. And that was because he, uh, he said that he purposefully designed it to be more of a traditional Nicaraguan profile. Which one was uh, that? We did it on the show and I can't even remember it. Oh, the, the wine uh, theme, the La Verite. Yes. Uh, I really like that. Other brand, other to me is other stuff is just, not exactly in my palate. And I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just not in my palate. He makes, this, he, makes he, he admittedly, I mean, he makes spice bombs. They're very spice forward, uh, very Nicaraguan forward, spicy cigars. But I usually uh, love Nicaraguan forward, spicy cigars. And I haven't really gotten that from the off brands. I don't know if you smoked enough because I mean, there is, uh, I, I really like, I can't pronounce it. Uh, yeah. One of his side brands. Uh, shit starts with an L and you'll know yeah. our smoker what I'm talking about. It's got some wonderful complexity uh, to it. I also love his small cracker crumb surrogate cigars. Um, okay. Then, and you he, know, maybe, maybe you're onto something that I need to smoke more of it I because admi- admittedly, I, I, I don't grab it. I don't, I don't go for the brand. So yeah, also, maybe it's my inexperience with them. And also he makes a damn good uh, budget cigar the Siri P which is a Sumatra wrapper, like what we're smoking tonight. Yeah. And on cigar monster from famous, you can get them for like 70 something for a box of 20. Yeah. It's a damn good budget cigar, uh, perfect construction. And it delivers a really nice flavor profile. I will say uh, that I have really loved this cigar. Uh, it, it gives me a lot of what I like. I love, I love when you can mix that breadiness with the mineral, I love it when you've got spice, but that undertone of that dry chocolate, not sweet, but just that dry chocolate hint. I, I'm liking everything about this cigar. The only thing that I don't like about it is its size. Yeah, I wish it lasted longer. Um, but there are a lot longer, larger cigars out there in the Tatuati family to uh, sample. I'll start, try, I'll start trying them out. I'll start giving them, I'll, I'll give them an unbiased shake. I need to, Need to drop my preconceived notions. And of course, Doctor, they are, uh, are the manufacturers of the Monster Series, which we have done several uh, uh, TNCC website exclusive reviews where the Doctor reviews uh, a monster movie and I pair it with uh, Pete's Monster Cigar. He's coming out with a new line of monsters this year, which I hope to get my hands on. Maybe Doctor and I can do some more of those. So, uh, uh, And we loved having Pete on the show uh, two years ago, I think. 
He was a great interview. Uh, we talked. I think we talked more about his background in music and yeah, yeah. And, and wine than actual cigars. But that's that's kind of what interested me. So we let the other guys talk about cigars. We'll talk about the fun stuff. Um, so yeah, um, I'm really digging this cigar too, Tut. And I also like you. Wish it was longer. That being said, price point, Tut. Oh God. Uh. They are limited. Uh, each, like I said, the Habano, the Broadleaf, and the Sumatra were smoking. Were the boxes were limited? Uh, I'll go nine fifty. Nine fifty, Yak Boy. Well, since Tut took my price exactly, I'll go nine seventy five. Nine seventy five. Well, shit. I guess I'll go nine ninety nine. Let me read what uh, the actual actual price is ten dollars. Okay. Oh, I win! I win. Yeah, that's well, that's that's not terrible, man. That was a fifty cent spread right there. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys came really close. Obviously, I knew the price. Uh, so yeah, ten bucks. Um, and like I said, if you go slow with it, you're gonna get some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, don't smoke it fast, but it's the the construction is phenomenal. The the flavors are really spot on and uh this might be this might be a new top five tattoo eye cigar for me easily yeah it's a good it's a good quality for ten dollars for just the you know just the level of the the construction and just what you just said everything in it it is a fantastic smoke uh i think so too um yeah i'll pay i'll pay 10 bucks all day long for that well, I did pay ten bucks. We we, we we paid for these bad boys. All right. Well, Charlotte wants to drive. Seeing as how uh, Russell's had two beers to her half pint, but he tells her, "I'm old enough to know when I've had too much to drink." I had two beers. I, I, I'm perfectly fine. She gives up. Besides, she says, "I didn't factor in that someone who weighs around 250 pounds could possibly drink like a six pack without getting drunk." 250 pounds? What? It's just like when she called him 55, like <laughs> she tells him, hey, you wear it well. I'm sure there's some muscle under there, but he defensively fires back. Hey, I weigh 174. Thank you very much. You know what? He offers to give her back one of the $100 bills if she c- cools it with the personal digs, but she says no deal. I can't, I can't make that deal. This goes back to what we were saying. I thought these first 15 minutes of them just talking to each other are good stuff. They're playful, but not flirtatious, because let's be honest, this hot 20-something isn't going to be flirting with a guy our age. And some good background information on both of them is sprinkled in the dialogue naturally without being obvious about it. Yeah, yeah. I thought things were good at this point. I really did. So Charlotte tells Rusty... I I wasn't opposed to it at this point either, actually. Okay. Well, Charlotte tells Rusty to turn off the main road... And as they're driving through a quiet neighborhood looking at Christmas lights, the Porsche suddenly slams into a man in the middle of the street. The guy slides off the hood and crumples onto the pavement. Charlotte races out and reaches him first. Fuck, he's still alive, she mutters to herself. When Russell looks down at the man, he tells her, we got to get him to a hospital. But she informs her driver that if they do that, Rusty might be arrested for DWI. Which, he's had two beers, but okay. 
But Russell's that's, freak. That's borderline, and he just hit a pedestrian. Russell, that makes sense. He's freaking out. So he suggests they just put him in the car and drop him off at an ER and say they witnessed him being the victim of a hit and run. But as they're debating what to do back and forth, a nosy neighbor sticks his head out the front door to see what all the commotion is. Without missing a beat, Charlotte tells the neighbor that her boyfriend, Frank, this guy on the street, is he's a super drunk. And he was being a major dick, and he jumped out of their moving car, and now they're just trying to get him back inside. Russell just stands there speechless as she's talking to his neighbor, and his expressions alone are priceless. <laughs> he kind of finally half-assed waves to this guy in his doorstep. He can't believe how things have gone so bad and crazy so fast. But eventually, he helps Charlotte scoop up the injured man over their shoulders and load him in the back seat. When she keeps talking to this neighbor about, yeah, he's lost his job, and he's the guy's like, all right, uh, I don't need to know that. Uh, sorry. I'm old. You're a millennial that likes to talk. Good night. I like that. Once they're back on the road, she's looking up hospitals on her phone. But the only close one in Glendale is only ranked two and a half stars. It doesn't matter how many stars it has, Russell says. Fucking millennials. Like, how would we not go to a hospital because of how it was ranked on Yelp? Uh, as they drive, Russell tells her as soon as they drop the man off at the ER, he's going to drop her off. And that's that. The night is over. But Charlotte says, no way. I paid you. You're going to finish the job. And besides... I'm the only witness to a very serious crime here, Rusty. Hitting somebody, then driving off with their body? An exasperated Russell explains, all these steps that we've taken were your ideas. The wounded guy, as he's saying this, the wounded guy in the back seat pops up with blood pouring out of his nose and then quickly collapses again. Charlotte reaches back and feels his pulse and declares that he's, that he's dead. She smiles, completely unbothered by all this. Hey, at least we don't have to go to the hospital anymore. They pull over and Russell is freaking the fuck out naturally. This isn't happening. This is a nightmare, he keeps saying. He's almost on the brink of tears as Charlotte attempts to check the man's pockets for goodies. Not like he cares, she giggles, before Russell swats her hands away from the guy. They drive off again, and Charlotte Charlotte's casual attitude is really fucking with Russell's mind. How can she act like this is no big deal? He figures she must have a police record or something. That's why she wants to avoid the cops. But eventually, she's had enough of Rusty's freak out. She demands that he drop her off. She reasons, you know what, Rusty? I've actually been pretty cool about everything, but it's useless. He just can't wrap his head around anything that's going on. So, boom, he drops her off. She gets out of the car, and as she's walking away, he has a moment, and then he gets out, and he chases after her on foot. He tells her, we're in this together, and he needs her, as she seems to be resourceful and kind of deviant. Thank you. She responds. Plus, he adds, that guy's really hard to carry by myself. <laughs> that was funny. So they drive to a hardware store that's a few minutes away from closing time. And I don't if any of you guys say that this scene is not fucking hysterical. I don't know what to tell you. As yet more classical Christmas music plays, they split up in the store to get some supplies with Charlotte acting totally relaxed and normal 
and Russell acting completely suspicious. And that's a reoccurring theme in the movie, him telling her, act normal, don't act suspicious. And then he acts totally <laughs> suspicious. Yeah. And she's totally normal. Uh, he always ends up wigging out. When they're checking out at the cashier, he grabbed two shovels while she grabbed some pruning shears, a new hammer, and some hanging plants and some potting soil. The interaction between Russell and the tired cashier at the end of the night as he fumbles over his words and the back and forth close-ups on his face and the close-ups on the cashier's suspicious eyes reacting to his nervousness. Dude, I was rolling. And I thought it was extremely well shot. This is such pure comedy at this point. And A.J. Bowen sells it. He's he's telling, oh, yeah, those, uh, those purple plants will look great with that purple stuff at your mom's house. Uh, hanging on the wall she's she does her best to keep up like oh the wind the wind ch- the are the uh dream catchers no not the dream catchers uh the the things with the wind that, that blows through and it's wind chimes <laughs> chimes dude he's just incapable of of maintaining any sense of dude it was just comedy and it's so funny i i dude i loved it i i, I was rolling <laughs> He's trying to play it so cool by making up a story about them doing some late night gardening at Charlotte's mother's house, but it all just comes out as verbal diarrhea. And this, uh, again, I will say is one of the main reasons you cast AJ Bowen in your movie. Cause not a lot of actors could have pulled off this, this kind of, uh, in the middle of this kind of tense moment, this, this pure, uh, comedy bit. Well, once they get back out in the parking lot, they see the white Porsche SUV speeding away. Oh shit. So Charlotte rapidly breaks into the cashier's car. She hotwires it. And after Russell clumsily gets their shovels inside the car, they're off in hot pursuit. That makes 144 episodes in a row that I have used the term hot pursuit. That has to be be some kind of record. We got to be in the Guinness book, right? If somebody were counting. Doctor, do they, that, doctor, do, that ha- that has to count for something, right? <laughs> I think so, but I agree with Yax. I'm not sure anyone's actually keeping track of that. But yes, if they were, I would think it'd be right. If you, if you, do you think that if we uh, get, send an email out to Guinness, they'll send that guy with the book and he'll sit in on the podcast and yeah. just as soon as you say that? <laughs> I love that dude. Yeah. Uh, if you watch iCarly, it's actually a really hot chick that comes and uh, oh, judge, now judges, okay. judges your uh, thing. But I guess Guinness had to get get with the times, get a well, little she, sex appeal. She's just an actress playing a, a Guinness. Uh, record. Oh, okay. Anyway, Russell asks, "Why do I have the feeling that you've done this before?" As she quickly broke into that car and hotwired it, uh, and now she's squealing around corners and expertly driving this this high speed Porsche. <sighs> then Russell reasons, you know what? This is actually a good thing that the SUV was stolen. They can just say they were carjacked and blame the dead body on whatever asshole stole it. We're good. We're solid. But Charlotte isn't listening to him. She says they're going to get their shit back. Your car and my makeup kit. And that's that. And he kind of clams up after that. She Eventually, she tracks the Porsche down to a quiet house in the suburbs Russell doesn't ask how she found the Porsche because they lost it in these 
these neighborhoods, but she, she found it rather easily. He doesn't ask about that. And when they get out and peek in the Porsche's back seat, the body's gone. He wants to bail. Just, just get in the car and go. But she's determined to break in the house and beat whoever stole the Porsche with her shiny new hammer and get her case back. Against all's better judgment, Russell then grabs a pistol from under the front seat of the SUV. He explains that he was mugged a few months earlier, so he, got, he bought a gun. And they enter the house together, her with her hammer and him with his gun. And guess who lives there? It's the dead guy from the back seat, and he's not dead after all. He tries to strangle Charlotte when he sees her, but then he backs off when faced with the barrel of Russell's gun. You're in way over your head, man, the guy says. And he seems just fine, by the way, now. He kind of wiped off his blood, and for a guy that got hit by a car, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's doing pretty good for a dead okay. guy. Charlotte gets her precious case back, but as they're walking out, the guy recites Russell's license plate number and says that if he'll call the cops and report Russell for hit and run, if she doesn't hand him the case back, I'm not going to let you fuck things up for me again. She barks at the guy. Russell sees no problem with this deal at all. It's just a fucking makeup case. I'll buy you new jewelry or a, a fucking makeup brush. Let's get out of here. This is a good deal. Uh, but she refuses to give it over. They argue back and forth a bit before she grabs the pistol from Russell and shoots the guy first in the face and then a couple of shots into his crumpled torso on the floor. While Rusty hyperventilates and is about to barf from all this violence, Charlotte calmly goes and grabs a shower curtain to wrap the body in for transport. She tells her driver, now at gunpoint, she's got the gun. Why don't you go look for a ginger ale or something in the fridge to settle that weak-ass stomach of yours, because we're leaving in 10 minutes. And guess what? When he goes to the fridge, there's a whole shelf of ice-cold ginger ale in there. That's kind of weird, right? It's not really something. A lot of things aren't adding up. A lot of coincidences here. Uh, So they wrap up the dead guy in a cartoon, it's raining cats and dogs shower curtain that Charlotte finds delightfully funny. And they're off in the Porsche again. As they drive out of the city, Charlotte is texting with her friends and chuckling away. While Russell listens to Silent Night on the radio and looks on the verge of tears again. She finally looks up from her phone screen and asks him, do you think this song's kind of dark? You know, it could be a bad thing if a baby didn't cry because it could mean they have Down syndrome or something. Rusty sighs. I, 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 I think it's just implying that he was a really good baby. Yeah, this is where the dialogue, this uh, is starting to fall apart for me here. She asks him what his top five favorite Christmas songs are. And here's hers, obviously. Obviously, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, obviously. Number two, Frosty the Snowman by Michael Buble. What? Russell says. Three is Christmas in Harlem by Kanye West. Yeah, that's a good one. And then there's that one from the movie Home Alone where Kevin scares the robbers with the cutout of Michael Jackson through the blinds. Uh, It's Michael Jordan, Rusty corrects her as he shakes his head in disbelief at all this. She asks him his favorites. And he says that he was always partial to The Little Drummer Boy, the duet between David Bowie and Bing Crosby. Fuck. How can you listen to Bing Crosby, she says. You know he raped like 50 million women. Russell Scott, he scoffs. He can't wrap his head around this one until finally it it clicks. No, not Bill Cosby. Bing Crosby. What's the matter with you? I like that. 
There's a lot to keep track of, she says, I guess. Oh, dude, that's a funny fucking scene. Just, just the part about the Christmas carols I liked. The other stuff, not so much. Uh, well, dude, that's every time they show him trying to wrap his head around this millennial's train of thought, I, I find great humor in it. Yeah, that, this scene particularly did a great job with the millennial versus the Gen Xer. It did. Uh, the conversation then goes much darker as she tells her driver that she really enjoyed hearing his sob story earlier in the bar about how his life went to total shit, how his girlfriend left him, which that's interesting because we weren't we didn't hear that part of the conversation. He never mentioned his uh, it turns out it's, it's his wife that left him. But we, we actually didn't hear that. She's quickly transitioned into a real psycho bitch. Am I right? Yes, you are. He then starts to pry, asking who she's yucking it up with a phone, considering that she had a big sad story about having no family back home in Australia. And, you know, what's up with that after all? What's up with your family? And she punches him hard in the shoulder and orders him never to speak about her family again. Our shit is different, she tells him coldly. Did y'all think it was weird that he didn't ask her how she found the Porsche so easily when it got lost in traffic? And why she said, I'm not going to let you fuck this up for me again to the dude in the house. Like those things stuck out at me. Like she knows this guy. Well, putting myself in Rusty's deal, if I mean, his mind is a shit ton to process in a couple of hours. So it really is. I'm giving that part of the script a break because I actually think that. And plus Bowen sells it so nicely. And honestly, to, uh, it bothered me the first time I watched the film. Like, how could she? How could you not ask her about this and this? When I watched it again, it didn't bother me at all because I was really like, after all this guy's been through, I'm not judging him for missing cues that me at home on my couch picked up. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I was right then because keep in mind, you told us not to look up anything about this movie. So I still don't know. I thought this was going to be our March to Halloween. I thought this was going to be a horror movie. I was waiting for horror to kick in. Then I was like, man, is this some weird type of, uh, what's that Keanu movie that we did? Uh, the destination wedding. Yeah. I was, is this some weird deal think, where it's just these two, just they're going to fall in talking. Love. I was just like, I didn't know what was going on at, okay. at this point, but I mean, I was starting to figure out some things, but I really wasn't questioning his motivation I, too I, much. I certainly didn't upon repeated viewings because after everything he's been through at this point, it makes sense that shit I'm picking up at home. He wouldn't be picking up in the moment, but there's some things that she's doing. That's really bothering me starting to bother me at this point, but I'm going to hold off until a little bit later. Okay. Well, anywho, the conversation in this in the film between speaking of what we're talking about, their their conversations between the two main characters, I felt they weren't stereotypical or easy to define at all. They're scattershot. They're all over the place. And I thought they were mostly believable and natural, given Charlotte's manic personality and the extremes of the situations these two keep finding themselves in. I never felt like the conversations didn't fit the moment given if you accept that she's a chatterbox millennial, who's clearly operating on a different plane and he's a somewhat normal dude, our age, 
I, I thought it kept things going nicely. I really, at this point, I thought it was all in. I still say well-performed by both of them. Uh, I just, I just, everything that happens after they hit the guy, I just have a hard time swallowing like that. It's, I get that he's plunged into this absurd, bizarre situation. Mm -hmm. I do think now that you've mentioned it, this is a film that definitely needs a repeat viewing now that you under, well, after you've watched the movie and you understand what has happened after it's over. Yeah. I think that going back and watching it again is really going to help. Um, it kind of, doctor, it kind of reminded me of this, of my favorite Scorsese movie after hours where Griffin Dunn kind of finds himself in this kind of, endless downward spiral of situations that he could have stopped at any point, but he doesn't. So they just get worse and worse and they get more and more absurd and more and more surreal. And it takes a, a really fucking great actor to, to, to temper that and make it believable, which Bowen does. But to me, her character, again, it just reminded me so much. Remember those back in the day when we could hang out the pub and smoke stogies together and drink. Remember those good old days? I do. I do remember it. So many, both male and female millennials would find their way to us. And this chick reminded me so much of them and just their stream of conscious nonstop talking and me looking over at Tut and giving him the and they don't even know. I do it right in front of them, and they didn't even notice because they're too busy talking busy about talking. themselves. And you know, it's just such a, it's just it's a weird thing. So I think, and this is what I'll say about that. And you guys can tell me I'm being lofty and pretentious and reading way too much in this movie, but this is what I'm taking from it. If you remove the murder out of the whole scenario at this point. I think the film is actually a pretty accurate character study on how guys our age communicate often highly unsuccessfully with millennials in general. We're generation X who's always just wanted to be left the fuck alone. And they're millennials who just want their voice to be constantly heard about everything in their minds all the fucking time. And those things just naturally clash and I thought that's at this point I was just, and I did get that more on the second and third viewing that this is a really good kind of deep dive into how generation X communicates with millennials. And I appreciate it a lot for that. And that's fine. But as you said, if you remove the murder from it, there has you can't, you can't, that's in the, that's in the narrative. they, hit the guy, put him in the car. So, yeah, that's fine. Oh, and then she point blank shot him in the face. If they hadn't had that, then Tut, okay. But Tut, they had that. Tut, your wife watches a lot of true crime murder stuff uh, on TV. The, the world is full of stories about good men, decent men who have their whole lives done the right thing, who in the midst of murder and chaos make bad choices and go along with shit. I'm not and I am not I'm not following I'm not faulting Rusty at all. I'm not even faulting 
the actress, but I do have some problems with the character, but not yet. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. So they drive out to the middle of nowhere, an area called Winchester, to be exact, to dig a shallow grave for the body. Luckily, Russell once worked in landscaping back in college, so he's handy with a shovel, and he digs. (laughs) While Charlotte takes her, which is weird because every time he holds those shovels, it seems so awkward. <laughs> like he treats them like they're like sticks of dynamite. Uh, while Charlotte takes her newly acquired pruning shears and hammer to remove the corpse's teeth and fingertips, which she does all too gleefully while getting splattered with uh, the corpse's blood. She even takes a break and snacks on some Cheetos with her blood-soaked hands as absolutely nothing seems to phase this girl. I mean, she basically at one point bashes the entire bottom of poor Frank's skull off, and we see it. It's literally the bottom half of his head gets knocked off. It's a great effect. It looks awesome. Yes, it does. And nothing at all shakes her. He asks about how she knows his name because she says something to the corpse like, poor stupid Frank. And she dismisses it simply as the phony boyfriend name that she gave the nosy neighbor. Remember back in the street when she said her boyfriend, Frank, it's just a name I made up when we we're trying to get the body off the street. So Russell lets it go. After burying the body, Russell starts a small campfire nearby where they burn the bloody shower curtain to get rid of all the evidence. Charlotte's craving a cigarette right now, or even better, a French toast flavored vape. Ugh. And this gets her talking about all the different breakfast foods she could and lattes that she could totally go for right now. Yeah, this is where it's falling apart. Russell just stares at her from across the flames in a mixture of disbelief, disgust, and pure exhaustion. Finally, when he thinks the shower curtain's nothing but ash, he starts walking away. All right, let's go. But we just got here. I like this fire. He keeps on walking. Wait a sec, she says. We've had a crazy fucking night. We should be good by now, you and me. It's like that football team whose plane crash landed in the mountains and they ate their coach or something. Like, that shit makes us tight. Finally, he stops walking and looks at her. Sweet motherfucking Jesus, please stop talking. (laughs) You know, boys, what I'll never stop talking about? What's that? You guessed it, Tut. Drew State Cigars. All right. I love those things. All right. Uh, sweet motherfucking Jesus. I love those cigars. <laughs> I love them. And one of their tastiest offerings in, is the Herrera Steli Miami, crafted by level nine Cuban rollers at the famed El Titan de Bronze on Cali Ocho. The Herrera Steli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish. There you go. Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican. Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. This new look of Herrera Steli Miami features rich black and gold packaging and is available in five sizes. I smoked the scar many times. We featured it here earlier in the year. I think we gave yes, it a, we did. a 91, which we don't give out 91s every day. It's truly one of uh, Willie Herrera's masterpieces. If you love cedar and spice and good everything luck. nice and everything nice, good luck finding a cigar better than this out there. Uh, so jump in your car or jump online right now and get your hands on some. What are you waiting for? Do it right now. We'll wait. I'll listen to a millennial talk about the Herrera Steli Miami all night long. (laughs) 
And while we're talking about really cool stuff, once again, I'd like to take a hot minute to tell y'all about something very cool, Cigar World. Cigar World is an online site for cigar smokers. There you can get cigar news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Also on the site is a cigar research panel called the Testing Lab. You can sign up to give your input on new cigars by taking surveys and testing cigars. Check it out at cigarworld forward slash testing lab. Don't go to cigarworld.com forward slash the doctor. You might see some things that are still in the beta testing phase. Classified. 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 Well, shit, I just gave it away, doctor. That's not good. Well, still waiting FDA approval. Still awaiting FDA approval. Other approvals. <laughs> and some some basic morality approvals. But, you know, societal uh, approvals. Morally conflicting. The Pope's a busy guy. Well, we stopped asking him. There's, there's other governing bodies. <laughs> When they get back into the Porsche, Frank pulls his gun on Charlotte. I'm not sure how he got possession of it. She had it last time, but that's okay. I'm going to get more into that later about how anything that doesn't make sense in this certain type of film kind of you can justify by something. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. He asked her how to explain the driver's license. He found the dead guy's wallet, which clearly has his name listed as Francis, a.k.a. Frank. Frank. Did you plan this whole thing? How'd you know his name? He just looked like a Frank. Stop bullshitting, Russell orders. And for once, she can't talk her way out of this one. By the way, you mentioned my film Underbelly earlier, Todd. A crucial moment in the final third of Underbelly is when one of the villains calls our protagonist, Henry, by his name. And there's no way he could possibly know his name was Henry how did you know my name was Henry? You look like a Henry. <laughs> Just saying. Fritz, of course, played by one and only Fritz Beer, our musical fifth member of the show. And I believe in that same scene, Doctor, after they say that, you deliver a very stern shh. Uh, I might have. Yeah, that, that's a... Uh... Just saying. Maybe somebody saw my film possible hey the little naked baby from the under from the nirvana album suing maybe i could sue (laughs) yeah don't man that's bad vibes of course i'm not gonna sue well hold on is there anything in it for me just ask her for uh you know produce your next script no if you just be like because dude i tried like hell to get aj bowen on the show tonight he has no social media no Twitter, no Facebook, no that's Instagram. Rare. So I actually, I actually reached out to the distribution company, Dark Sky, that releases film. I was like, can we, any way you can hook up? Because they're trying to promote the film. Yeah. I was like, any, excuse me. I was like, is there any way to get AJ Bowen on the film? I think he'll want to be here since I'm going to drool all over yeah. his career and his performance. Of course, they didn't get back to me. So, uh, yeah, I'll be happy. You know what? I won't sue you. Just let, let us get AJ on here at some point. Didn't he used to be on social media? Didn't you actually reach out and he responded to you once some years ago? It's so funny you say that, Doctor. Because I was drinking a lot of steel reserves at the time, 
right? I thought that that happened, but I wasn't sure. You saying that makes me think it actually did. I reached out to him on Twitter. This would be 10 years ago when I first got on Twitter. I haven't been on Twitter for years, but I remember writing a, a part in a script for him and reaching out to him and him responding. Like he seemed like a really centered cool we actually went back and forth but then when i was thinking about going to this like so many beers like did that actually happen but you were but you were on still reserve and you drove him off of social media Uh, i I just recall that you had it was after you watched a horrible way to die and on some form of social media uh i i don't remember which one i'm not on any of them obviously but uh I, I thought that you had like just saw that he was on something. Yeah. Complimented him on his performance. I don't, I don't remember you say, having a part written for him or anything like no, that. I, well, I, I think I said, I wanted to write something for him. I was so taken from that performance. I think I said, I wanted to write. And I remember him being really cool and responsive, but I, I honestly didn't have confidence that that actually, it's been so long. I got two kids since then, a lot of malt liquor, I'm glad you said that, Doctor, because I thought that was a thing that happened. And you just, now that you said it, I'm sure it happened. <laughs> I just remember you said you reached out to him about that movie and complimented on his performance and that he wrote something back and was very grateful and, and yeah. uh, touched, yeah. said he was touched by it or something like that. I just remember that. That's, that's kind of how I remember it, too. So, okay. I also would have been drinking a lot of Steel Reserve at that time. So it's possible, again... Is it possible that we both drink so much malt liquor that we both imagine that happening separately? I think that's actually possible. <laughs> it is. It's probably, it's probably a real... The amount of blood alcohol content one gets from drinking four blackberry steel reserves. I don't know how these two men were able to walk, much less figure out how to log onto a computer. It, God, every nerve ending in their body must have been on Fire with the two one one, doctor, doctor, <laughs> doctor, doctor. Do you think I'll ever be able to do simple addition and subtraction problems again? I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. <laughs> well, Russell demands to know what's in the suitcase, but Charlotte tells him you you wouldn't understand. He tells her, either show me or get out of the car and I'll open the case for myself, which she surprisingly does. She gets out of the car. So he locks the car doors to be safe, cracks open the makeup case, revealing a can of of perfectly refrigerated blue Raz steel reserve. It's blowing. It's like like Marcellus's suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Like opening the trunk in Repo Man. It's a blue blue glow. Oh. The first thing I've ever that's the first time I've ever written something in my nose that made me laugh before I said it. I totally forgot that I wrote that. Dude, what if she opened it up and it was just this? Huh. There was a big bright blue glow. <laughs> oh, totally. The Vincent Vega blue glow. Oh, we're happy. Let me put this back in its protective case. Only thing better is that all of a sudden you and I are standing there, rusty, rusty. We happy? <laughs> oh yeah, we're happy. No, no. Inside the case is a digital wristwatch, like an old school calculator watch, and a fancy set of keys. 
she finally agrees to explain what's going on, which again, you won't understand if you just let me back in the car. Cause he starts driving off. She's in the middle of nowhere. She'll never take her hours to walk somewhere. And finally she gets back in the car and agrees to play along. As they drive back to civilization, a hesitant Charlotte tells Russell, it's a key for a room, a very, very strange room. I have never hit a woman in my entire life, Rusty interjects. Not Jenny Mansky in third grade when she pants me on field day. Not Richa Chidori when she kicked me in the nuts every fucking time we were sparring partners in boxing. Not my ex-wife, never. But you're going to tell me what the fuck is going on, or I swear to God. And you can tell this man hanging in at the very end of his rope means it. And so can Charlotte. It unlocks a room that has a machine in it. And it can, you know, like rewind. Are you talking about like a video store? We've been chasing down the key to a goddamn blockbuster this whole time. I love that. That was great. (laughs) So fucking funny. Yeah, these two crumbums didn't think it was funny. Uh, like I said, man, the performance. Well, this is where, you know, what you've been talking about with the whole, the, the Gen Z. I hear you, Mitzi. I liked the blockbuster reference. I just like, I was, I felt this now. He's breaking down. Well, it really works for me if you have no clue what she's talking about. If you haven't watched the trailers and you haven't read anything, you're as clueless as he is. I which I which I am. Yeah, I no, I was. Okay, okay. I, I followed your advice. I didn't watch anything. I hate trailers. I don't watch any trailers. I never read uh, reviews when I go into a movie because something like this is so precious. If if they want to spoil it for me in a trailer, I hate them for it. I love getting uh, what we're about to see firsthand. Charlotte has never been this serious and composed the entire film when she says what she says next. You can go back earlier in the night, like rewind. Russell immediately pulls the Porsche over the side of the road. He can't believe the words that are about to come out of his mouth. So you're telling me that you, you currently possess a key that opens a room that houses a machine that lets you go back in time. Yes, she says. Wow, you're straight up Looney Tunes, Rusty laughs. But when she doesn't back down from her story, he starts driving forward again. She asks nervously where they're going. Hey, you got a time machine. I want to see it. I begged you guys, and it sounds like you all played along not to watch the trailers or read anything. Did you ever see fucking time travel being dropped into this story at this point? Of course not. Never in a million years. No, but in retrospect, yes. I even cropped out when I send you guys the Amazon Prime picture of what it is. I actually cropped out the genre because it said science fiction, and I didn't want to put that to put a little seed in. Yeah. Uh, I wanted. I wanted this. As, to- as we progress, we can. We'll, I'll, I'll go back. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the beginning of the film again, and all the little things that. Uh, unfortunately, I think this is where I have to unload on the script and the way she was directed for her character. 
because now knowing, because I didn't, as soon as, as soon as they mentioned the time deal, it all, I'm not saying it snapped into crystal clear focus, but I believed it. It was a time machine. This now we are in a time machine story. Okay. Here's the thing that I don't like. I, and it's probably me. I don't like characters that are too cool for school. I don't like characters that regardless of the circumstance, they're on top of it. They become flat. They don't, there's nothing that shakes them. They've, they've got it all handled. I mean, she is taking a hammer and clawing the dude's face. She's snapping off fingerprints. She's eating Cheetos with it. Hang on. Cause I, I think I understand what, what your counter argument might be. But let me let me let me go through my diatribe first. It's just it's way too much. I mean, it's just like I don't care. You have to have even if you've done this 50 million times, there has to be something that says ew when you smash somebody's faith in face in, especially a 22 year old girl. Or, Not if she's or a psycho. If she's a yeah, I don't know. I just I didn't like it, and it 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 metabolized what I didn't like about her. And that, and it was, and it also metabolized that this was a director's choice in her character. I I think she's a good actress. I think she's going to be, I think she's got some chops, but I can't stand the whole, I'm so cool. I'm so confident. Nothing phases me. And that's it. That's my character. It just, it's so flat. It is so damn flat. Rusty's giving you peaks and valleys. He's going from nice affable to what the hell, I don't know what's going on, to you're going to tell me this now. And she is just straight up even keel. And I understand she's had this all planned, and I understand she's done all the murders before. She's interacted with Frank before. It just didn't. It's fun to do murders when you know they're going to come back to life the minute you, you reset everything or rewind everything. It's like so a vi- something about you. It's like a video- yeah, really. It's like a video game. It's like it's like playing Grand Theft Auto in real life. You can club police, you can shoot people, and it doesn't matter because it's not real. It's a video game to her. Yeah. And and if you watch enough like videos from like street fighting videos and stuff, you'll see that these young kids, a lot, not all of them obviously, but some. They they have this kind of just disregard towards violence and DC. I I I totally bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Like I said, maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just my dislike of that type of personality. And well, yeah, who, I, I'm I'm cool with that. But I who just does, who does like that type of personality? I just I see it all the time, though. I see these. You know, oh, I'm going to have this powerful character and I'm going to make it so powerful and so in control that I'm just like, your character's flat and stale now. There's nothing. I don't dig your character anymore. Well, I mean, when she's being so cool at the campfire and everything, I'm just like, but Tut, dude, why would you, why, why would you dig her at that point? She's clearly the bad guy. You're not supposed to dig the bad guy. But in a lot of films, you do dig the bad guy because they give you something else. There's a, yeah, there's a there's a human side to them, and she lacked any sort of human side to her. But but at no point watching American Psycho are you like, you know what? I like this. I really dig this side of Patrick Bateman. He's a fucking homicidal flatline maniac who you shouldn't empathize with or be like. I wish he was a little more soft around the edges. She's a psycho. 
Actually, if you read the book, you do sympathize with No, no, no. Doctor, I, I left out the book. I'm talking about the movie. I just think that even with psychos, there's always that little glimpse of something of the the quiet neighbor next door that you would never think that would do this. And with no. her, there was no quiet neighbor next door. No, she's she's a party girl who found the ultimate party trick and and and, and has exploited it like crazy, which we're about to learn more about. And that's her character. I understand it. I just don't like it. There's not a side of her that when she's not doing this, she bakes muffins and takes it to her elderly neighbor. That's not her character. The and That's what I say. I don't like those characters. I think that most they're still, people. They're still valid characters. I bet you, I bet you even Jeffrey Dahmer died, cried at Old Yeller. I mean, it's just. He might not have. Probably not. He used to kill dogs. I think he ate Old Yeller. He might have eaten Old Yeller. Okay, maybe a bad reference, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. There's always a little bit of human emotion. There's a roundness to even the most cruel her, people. Her softness when she lightens up on Russell and when she kind of gives him a little bit of back and forth and, and a little bit of charm early on, that's her softness. Yeah, I don't see that. You no. saw it earlier because you liked her earlier. I I feel like the that's intro- because she was actually showing it then. Yes. Now when now There's when no she's reason to show it now she's she's exposed. <sighs> you don't need to keep up the facade once you're exposed. That's just it. I mean, it's it's just a facade. That means your character is as flat as I was saying. And Guess I what? just Hans Gru- Hans Gruber was charming as hell in the first half of Die Hard. So he started shooting people in the fucking head. And then he went hardcore terrorist. Yeah, but even Hans Gruber had conflict. Hans Gruber had a situation that he didn't know exactly what was going on. He didn't have the answer for everything. He didn't know exactly what to do. He didn't know to go down the hall and shoot guy in the face. Yeah. He didn't know to turn around and go to the bathroom pee his, and shoot that dude in the face. Because this, that was I his just, first that was his first time doing this. She's done this three dozen times. Yeah. I'm right. You're wrong. No, and I mean, sure, that's, that's fine. That's, you're right. You're absolutely right. You don't need to deal in absolutes, but just uh, just in this case. No, I, all the time. You are good. I feel like the time travel introduction does explain the behavior of her character. Uh, when when we get to that element, that explains how she can be so cool, calm, and collected through for for me throughout their endeavor uh, yeah. that does explain uh, the way that, that her character behaves. I just, for me, while watching the movie, and I think the discussion has been interesting enough to make me want to watch it again. Uh, but for me, just, I, I give no fault at all to the performances. Everything that happens after they leave the bar and hit Frank up to the point of the introduction of the time travel, all that stuff, Kay, that you, that you liked, their performances are great. Both of them. I'm just, I'm really like not caring at all about the movie from, from when they hit Frank and have that scene in front of the neighbor, that guy that comes out, all that stuff, all the millennial versus Gen X, all that, that's all valid. Performances are great. I just never cared for any of it up until the introduction of the time travel element. I just, I didn't, I just had a hard time coping with any of it. 
Okay. Did you like the introduction of the time travel element? Were you like, oh, I'm back in this? This could yes. this Yes, that, that brought me back in it. That that whole everything from then on brought me back in. That, that to me that explains what she's doing. And okay. everything that Rusty does at that point becomes more believable to me. That whole middle third, or okay. might have been half of the movie from when well, that's, they crank up to that point. I don't well, care. Well that 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 interests me a lot, Doctor, that you lost it and then picked it back up by the inclusion of this bombshell plot point of time travel okay that 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 makes me feel good uh tut and i can disagree that's we i think the shows are better when we do disagree the fact that i thought this is just a super self-obsessed uh 23 year old chick who's basically playing grand theft auto but not in a video game but just jumping back in time and shooting people and and doing crazy shit without any kind of repercussions or uh, because she knows she can erase it all. I thought that was really interesting. And I, I got how after doing it so many times, she would get numb to it and her and her friends would just get, it's a game to them, but let, let's, let's keep, let's keep trucking. Let's keep trucking. As they drive, Russell tongue firmly in cheek asks her questions and Charlotte explains some of the rules of time travel, such as you can only go back as far as the day you were born. When he asks her if going back in time, you know, affects anything, she rolls her eyes. You're not going to get, you're not going to come back with low testosterone, if that's what you mean. What? He gets all defensive at yet another slam on his age. No, God, geez. I mean, like reality. Aren't you supposed to be careful not to change anything? And then she points out that, hey, what's the point of going back if you're not changing stuff? That's a millennial's perfect answer. That's not our answer, Tut. That's a millennial's answer. It's a millennial's perfect answer, yes, but it's a sci-fi writer's biggest mistake when you can't figure out how to handle time travel. No, it's a guy our age who's watched a million time travel movies and it's like, what about the butterfly effect? If I if I step on a bug... Well, we always change it. The the butterfly effect is always referenced with usually something large, not something small. Yeah, everyone always goes, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, well, that might change something on a large scale. But you know what? If you went back in time and, you know, stopped yourself from buying that last can of steel reserve. That was that going to change lot. anything? That changed a lot, Yaks. There were, oh, God. oh, God. Do you think me chugging that boot of Steel Reserve tonight is going to change something in the fabric of reality? No, I'm pretty sure that's the way reality went, meant to happen. Yeah. I'm not sure whether... I'm thinking that there's like a whole thing where everyone's just like, yeah, please drink all of it. All of it. Get rid of it. There were there were nights where not having that last can of Steel Reserve would have changed a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, I was, what I was referencing in uh, as you as you talk about this with that in the beginning of the film, he asks her about her age, and she's like, "What year is it?" No, well, so now we go now we go back, and that that that's a that's that's a great point, yeah, boy. Now we go back and look earlier in the film when he's like, "How old are you?" And very seriously, she asks him, "What year is it?" And he thinks she's joking around. But no, she she's been jumping back and forth so much. 
Which I do appreciate the fact that this director didn't do the montage of all the hints throughout the movie. Because a lot of times, a lot of times you see that to where it's like, once the big reveal happens, you'll see like this whole montage of all the hints leading up to it. Yeah, no. And and I'm glad I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, but I I am getting the feeling, unlike Tut did appreciate her generation's answer to, you know, if you, if you keep doing this, is it going to affect change? And she's like, that's the whole point. What do I give a shit? I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I didn't object to that answer at all. Oh, okay. I thought you gave me a squirrely eye. No, I just objected to the whole deal of, all right, now that you've introduced time travel, there's a big elephant that you need to address. Who are you well, calling a psycho? Who are you calling a psycho? I didn't say anything to you, Doctor. He asks some more big thing questions, but she doesn't really have any answers. As she simply jumps back in time a little bit to have fun, play her little games, and that's as far as she's thought it out. And I thought that tracked with her character and her age. Charlotte tells Rusty to take an exit off the freeway, and as he does, they're pulled over by a patrol car off Laurel Canyon Boulevard. She tells him, book it to the nearby house, where we can leap in the time machine and I can jump us back before all this happened. But this makes sense as he still doesn't believe any of this crazy shit that she's saying. He just pulls over. That's not an option for him at this time. The police officer knocks on the window and informs Russell that his driver's side taillight is out, which is weird because when he pulled him over that back taillight isn't out and it wasn't out later in the movie it's never out but here's my thing originally i would say that's a goof i think that's part of the actual plot that they oh, cut here tut any other movie i'd be like oh he said your left taillights out but when you pulled in there it wasn't out any other movie i'd be like well they fucked up because i saw it it was a goof but with time travel movies i always hesitate was that a goof or were they trying to tell me something? Did they come back and fix the taillight in another reality? Is that why Rusty's pints of beer were so inconsistent at the bar? Because the bartender would give him a full beer and then he'd take a drink and it was half empty. Like I start, were all these guys jumping back and forth through time between all these sips? You can get away with a lot of shit with these time travel flicks and just blame the audience for being stupid if they question anything. Hey, what about... Oh, no, it's a time travel movie. <laughs> that's that, lazy. To me, that's lazy. Time travel. Time travel. That's so lazy. But what about... what about? No, no, no. Time travel. They could have gone yeah. back. They went back. They, that was another reality where they did something different. I hope they didn't. I hope that's not their intent here because that is super lazy. <laughs> his, beers, I, his beers, every time he took a sip, it was like this full, then this full, then this full. And I was... I. I couldn't help but notice it as I'm watching it. Even my wife watched it with me and she noticed it. But then at the end, I'm like, oh, is he jumping back and forth there? And those were different beers and a different time, time reality. <laughs> Dude, you can't, you can't question shit. Once they drop the time travel thing, it's like carte blanche to be like, hey, you're the dummy. Yeah, if you can't figure it out, I mean, <laughs> you know, read a book. Right? So anyway, Russell, once again... Let me do the talking with the cop. 
<laughs> like he did in the hardware store, cooks up another awkward, completely unbelievable and un- unnecessary story for the police officer, which comes across as total bullshit. <laughs> Can I get your license registration? Yeah, I'm actually taking her. She was in, she was in an abusive relationship and uh, I'm getting her to safety. Oh, did she get a restraining order? Oh, yeah, babe, you should totally look into that. Fuck off, she says. <laughs> he always has to go like to this crazy place. Uh, so while the officer goes back to his car to run Russell's license, Charlotte, she keeps telling uh, Russell, just go, just go. We can get to the house. We can jump back in time. None of this will matter, but he doesn't listen to her. So she grabs her new hammer and walks straight to the patrol car where she sinks it in the cop's skull. She then reaches in and takes his service revolver and shoots him twice in the head. Russell runs out to confront her. She tells him to relax. I can fix all this. But he grabs her and they start wrestling a bit before she knees him in the balls, which causes him to immediately fall in line and do what she says and start driving again. They pull up to yet another extremely normal-looking, well-kept, one-story, three-bedroom house in a quiet residential neighborhood. Do you have, like, a murder dungeon in there, he says? Please. And you're like the bait? Some sicko's going to make a pair of chaps out of my leg skin? That's gross, she says as she exits the car. By her math, they've only got 15 or 20 minutes tops until the cops arrive. And his Porsche douche wagon, as she calls it, kind of sticks out in the driveway. At this point, we've said many times throughout the show, what will we do? At this point, he's an accomplice now to two murders, one of which has been caught on a policeman's camera for sure. He's all in. What possible solution to all this does he have but to hold his breath and hope like hell that there's some fucking crazy chance that this Looney Tune is telling the truth with a time machine. Otherwise, he's 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 got the death penalty. He's he's gonna he, he's he's toast. Much like the toast we experienced earlier tonight in the Tatuaje T one one zero cigar. Do you It'll guys, make you time want to time travel back to the beginning of that bad boy. Do you guys now get why I selected the cigar tonight? No. Much like in the Terminator, the T-1000 time I was about tra- to say, I was the, the T-110 doesn't sound like the T-1000. Arnold was the T-800. We smoked the T-110. Is that like the very first like robot we see in the Terminator series? That's a T-100. It, it's a bit of a stretch, but... The T one, that's a T one ten. It's the same. It's the same as the chassis as the T one hundred, just with a software upgrade. What's the T one ten? Is it like R two D two? Like that's like a that's like a stretch. It's, like, it's that little bitty. Stretch. It's that little bitty robot that's, that that goes around the floors of the <laughs> Death Star. <laughs> I like Tut's explanation. It's that little little children's van size thing going around the Death Star. That was the team. Why do, I, why do I see like these Terminators with their plasma rifles coming out and all of a sudden there's this one facing backwards and like, oh, Jesus. Turn him forward. Kill the human. <laughs> why do we keep bringing this guy? Skynet won't let us kill this one. 
We gave it a can of blue rass, and now it's the T110. <laughs> I'm searching for Steve Connor. Can I find her, please? It's Sarah Connor. God, why would we send the T1 with the T110? Why did we send the T <laughs> blue rass back in time? John Connor's giving his his speech. You know, at first it was easy. It was the T110s. You could spot them a mile away. They were drunk. You can smell you can smell blue raz from fifty feet. Bad breath. They were all drinking steel steel reserve blue raz. They stumbled over each other. They didn't move fast. They never got out of bed before one in the afternoon. Then the T one twenties came. They were a little bit better. They drank <laughs> pearl they drank pearl light. Only in stubby bottles though. <laughs> Dude, it's it's a it, it makes sense pairing wise. <laughs> the T-110 sounds like a Terminator. Come on. Time travel, baby. Right, right, right. The right, retarded right. Terminator. <laughs> That's not... Uh, drug Terminator better. I wish I could go back in time and redo this show. Oh, don't we all? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The inside of the house is decorated uh, very modern with sleek custom furniture and several abstract paintings framed on the walls. Charlotte walks Russell to a hallway door where she inserts two special keys into the electric lock and the door opens. A pink neon glow emits from the room as they step in, and Russell then finds himself face-to-face with a time machine. There's all sorts of wiring, gauges, circuit boards, and exposed computer panels. Tut, you are now officially a computer science major at the University of Texas, Yes. Please, please tell us and our listeners how all of this works to allow our characters to time travel. The floor is yours. Okay. My dear Kate, you are far, far too in- unintelligent to understand the you're intricacies. Your primitive, primitive, of- <laughs> primitive mind wouldn't understand uh, coils and. I'll tell you, I, I will say this. It's, I, I'm twofold about the reveal of the time machine. One, there's the natural instinct. Well, if you can control time, you know, shouldn't this may be a, a, a mixture or maybe would it be uh, futuristically influenced with parts from the future? But the other side of that is I tut, really tut, dig. Tut, I, tut. They, they clearly state you can't go into the future. It's only the past. I really dig the hodgepodge creation of it. I love the 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 radial the man the old school analog radio dials i love the wires all over the place i love the fact that this is this looks like she said that this was a game that this was you know just a whole bunch of people playing a game it looks like something that was built by a bunch of just gamers rich kids who didn't have anything better to do that just were naughty in the closet and built a time machine that was honestly I'm okay with no explanation on this house, who owns this house, and who made this time machine. I think I think it's best left unsaid. We don't need that. If well, we're... you know, and I think that's one of those instances that, which, like, I we don't call that, but as an technology, this huge universal changing thing is not being used in the way that we think it's being used. Yeah. And it's, kid, it's a kid's toy now. Story, but but uh, it, the way it comes across is like some dude's cool uh, scientist stepdad 
who all the all the kids like cook this thing up and he lets them party with it and he gives them all like this this cool key yeah that that works for me on, on and I'm okay with that but I forgot that they couldn't go into the future but I but I the only thing I was left you know in a in a different movie if this movie left me when he, I was like whose house is this who made this thing how did it get in the hands of these party kids I don't need to know it. I'm glad I'm, I'm fine with them not telling me that, but I would have loved a little backstory on, on the owner of this house, the scientist who owns this house, who knows they may have killed him and they're yeah. just, they're just partying at his house and, and using his time machine. Who knows? I'm okay with not knowing, but it would have been cool to, I'm actually this. I actually feel the same. Uh, I, I don't need to get, I, I I don't need to know that backstory, but I would like to know the backstory. I that's think that thing. that's, that's I, a cool I, thing to explore in future things. I don't know if they're trying to set up for any type of future, you know, I don't franchise know. or I whatever. I don't think so, but, but, but Todd, I'm with you. I would, I would love to know that, but I think that's a good movie when I would, to go back to my film Underbelly, which is available on YouTube right now, which we've already established this film sampled quite a few things from <laughs> the ending is very uh oblique and esoteric and open-ended of my movie i would as an audience member i would love some answers yeah i hope as a filmmaker they're okay that i don't give it to them but i would totally love some answers on what's going on here but the fact that the movie works without giving you those answers that's a check in the pro column. That that that's a good that's a good mark of a good movie. That you're okay with it. That you don't get it. Yeah. Charlotte immediately plugs a cable from the time machine into her special calculator wristwatch. Her Pitboy Five Thousand from the Fallout t- game. You know that one? It's it's it looked like it was something that uh, Pitboy. Well, she types in a year, month, date, and time on the watch's tiny keypad, hits enter, and all the contraptions in the room start humming and buzzing loudly. The camera jumps in close on both their faces as neon pink and blue lights flash across their eyes, zeroing in on their pupils as brief visions, tiny fragments of the last few hours flash through their memories. Suddenly, we cut to Charlotte and Russell as she knees his balls once again in front of the dead cop's patrol car. Again, Russell pants as he drops to his knees in the dirt. That's for not believing me, she smiles. She, such a bitch, she took it back to right before she kneed his balls the first time. I kind of like that move. It does it again. He stumbles to his feet. His mind is literally melting, trying to figure out how this is all happening. How this time travel thing actually works. Fuck if I know, she says. Let's go. As they drive back to the time travel house, Russell asks, why couldn't they just jump back before she shot the cop? And she says, nah, it was funnier to crush your nuts again. Yeah, Charlotte. If this is what you do, just jump around causing shit and having fun. She says, yeah, most of the time that's what we do. But other times, you know what? I went to Vegas. I won 800 grand on blackjack. That explains the money. She's sliding across the table. She also says that one time a bunch of her friends uh, went back in time and poked a hole in every single condom in a CVS pharmacy in Tarzana. 
he asks why god why did you never think to go back and stop 911 9/11 and she counters back with this if you rusty had one chance to go back and change something is it 9/11 is that what you would choose in rusty's mind we see him flash back to the day that he signed his company's buyout papers to sell off his app and then we see his pissed off wife leaving him as a result of that i don't know what i'd choose he lies see she says i love this line you want to act all, all high and mighty but you ask anyone for their one wish and you know what they're not wishing for rusty world peace i love this section of the script whoever wrote this whoever put this little together i love that whole thing human beings are selfish individuals at their core and there's no way in hell 99% of them given the chance to jump back at a certain point in their personal history would stop 911 i i bravo screenwriters i think that this was very very smart and it I, brought I really back his it. toast it brought back his toast to world peace and she calls bullshit on that it's 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 just really good screenwriting anybody ever read uh, the book that stephen king wrote about 10 years ago i think they made a, a mini series out of it it's called 112263 yes uh, no about, no, about no. the kennedy assassin right. like the the uh, there's a guy who's like a 35 year old uh, yes. James Franco school teacher, and yes. he goes to it. In the I, I never saw the show; I just read the book. I heard oh, it was actually pretty good. Oh, the, dude, the 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 film with James Franco was phenomenal. So, so like in the, I'll have to watch it. Like in the book, he, he goes to this diner, this greasy spoon diner, and the guy that runs it confides in him that like if you go into his supply closet, there's a time portal, and it dumps you out in 1959. And so you can go do whatever and, you know, change the future. And then you can, you change what, what happens. And so then you can come back through that portal and see what you've done. And if you don't like it, you can step back through it and then step back through real quick and, and erase what you've done. And so this guy had the idea of preventing the Kennedy assassination because it was 1959, but like, uh, and ostensibly, that's what the main character wants to do. But at first, he just wins some. He decides he needs some money, so he just wins a bunch of money betting on baseball games. Yeah. And and I, I know they do that in Back to the Future Part Two, but I'm like, because I'm sitting here, I'm like, you know, I can name like every World Series champion of the last 45 years. It's like I would just, I, I wouldn't. You're totally right. Like I wouldn't prevent that. I would just make myself a gazillionaire. Uh, it's like that does he places some bets, but eventually he's going to try and prevent the Kennedy assassination. Well, uh, in, in the in the film, uh, he 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 kind of immediately decides that's what he's going to do. It, they kind of skip the selfish. I, if I remember correctly, they they stick, skip the selfish phase, and he just becomes ingratiated with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, and uh, it's a really good. I'll give it a shout out on, on Hulu. Uh, it's a really good, I don't know if it's a good adaption because I never read the book, but it's a really good miniseries. Okay. But yeah, I, th- I think her point here is exactly poignant. If you had one shot to go back in your life, 
ain't nobody going to take one for the team and stop 9-11. You're going to go back to when it benefits you the most, whether it's financially, whether it's personally. So don't give me the your high horse, Rusty. Uh, I thought that was a really good moment from her. So they arrive back at the time travel house. But when Russ, Russell starts walking down the hallway, Charlotte asks him, where, where do you think you're going? He explains, obviously, we're going to jump back in time before you killed the cop, before we both killed Frank. But she says no to all that. She explains that it's been a fun ride, but it's over for you, Rusty. You're welcome to stay here in the house, but the cops should be here in any minute now, so I wouldn't advise it. What? You're pinning all this on me? You did say I was deviant, she said. And this is where, as a not such a smart guy after drinking so much Dear Reserve, I didn't really get. Why does a time master need a scapegoat? Well, I didn't get why she, if she's going to jump back, why that would exonerate him. Because obviously if she jumps back, he didn't do any of that. I didn't get this. You're pinning me with it. Just and now, now you're. With, I get this way with every time machine movie. This is, the, this is where the can of worms open. That this conversation. It's what I was trying to say. It's this what could, I was trying to say. If you do not solve this part of it, what happens to the timeline that you create? You're you're just begging for this type of confusion. This this conversation can go on till four in the morning. And I, 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 I'm going to bail before that happens. This conversation has gone on to four in the morning. This exactly. This is exactly the question I have. It's Her. October. Hey, here's how I, as the host of the show, move past it. This little phrase. For whatever reason. <laughs> Let's go with that. Well, Rusty isn't taking any of this bullshit line down. So he starts fighting Charlotte for the wristwatch and keys. It's a very realistic fight in the sense that Russell hasn't exactly been portrayed as anything close to aggressive or a man's man by any means. So they just kind of wrestle with each other, kicking one another over and over again in this living room. And I like the way that they went with that, with one exception. Choreography was great. Eventually, he falls down on top of her on the couch, delivers some well-placed elbows to the rib cage, and is able to get away for just a few seconds to where he can open the door, grab the keys, open the door to the time machine room, and close her out on the other side. What don't you like about that, Ted? Well, it's, it's just a small, small gripe for compared to some of the other gripes that I had. Uh, but earlier in the movie, you see her take away his gun with expert Oh, dude, it's like, it's like John Wayne. It's like John Wick. It's like fucking John Wick. And now all of a sudden she doesn't know how to fight or protect herself. That, that was a little bit weird. But like was, I said, it was, it was a small, it was a small but maybe, thing. Maybe they jumped back in time since then and she lost those skills. I don't, man, I just, yeah, could be. I don't, don't think know. You lose skills jumping back. It, dude, you it's, a time, it's a time travel movie. You can't question shit. You would think that you would keep but accumulating it's, skills it's, like Bill Murray knew how to play the piano expertly at the time. But it, by the it, end of Groundhog Day. I'm assuming in the physics of this time machine, it is the universal. If you knew what you knew now, but back then. Yeah. So in other words, this time machine, it's, you know, in this instance, 
she sent them back to when she like kicked him in the nuts. So we see this time travel, which is only a couple of hours. But if she's been doing this for years or however long it's been. And why does she need to keep looping back to, to make, to meet Rusty, to make sure that he hits Frank, to do all this stuff. I mean, just like, you can explain it away as just her having fun, but man, to me, I'm just kind of like, I need a little bit well, more. That that. I don't think it's necessarily looping. I think they're the people who know about the machine. When once they find out about it, it, it runs in a small circle because it becomes very vicious. I'm going to kill the person who has the key so that only I have the key. Yeah. I, th- I think that's part I think that's part of the game. Yeah, I think I agree. But so then are there alternate timelines? Yes. There's nothing but alternate timelines. Every oh, single time it changes. We don't know because they were too lazy to divulge that or to whoever has, well, I think We only ask the question cuz this your assumption is there only one key? We don't know that, but I think it's understood that these. She says there's a whole group of these kids. Yeah, yeah. So you know they keep jumping back, they keep fucking with the timeline, they keep doing stuff. Um, I think we're just supposed as a watcher of a time travel movie at this point to roll with it. To roll with it, and that's every time travel movie. But in in this instance, it's very limited because they don't talk about the time machine moving. It's in this house. It's in this room. So these people can only go only go so far before they have to go back to Los Angeles. Which also makes sense why you have a bunch of analog stuff on that time machine. It was built. It was built way in the past. Right. My favorite time travel movie of all time. Time Bandits. No. (laughs) Is an independent film called Primer. And I'd be curious for Tut as uh, a computer science major now and as... An avid sci-fi guy? Yeah. To watch Primer. Because while it's my favorite time travel movie, it is also my most confusing, baffling, I can't follow anything in this movie whatsoever. These guys build these startup guys that have day office computer jobs, build a time travel device in their garage by accident. And they slowly start going back in time in little chunks to buy stocks and kind of try to do it smartly in little bits. And then it quickly gets out of control. But dude, it is the most confusing goddamn movie I've ever seen in my life, but it's proof that I don't need to understand the inner workings of a movie to appreciate a movie. Yeah. And time travel is one of those weird genres where I give it a pass. Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't. No, it's just, it's, it's obviously not real, but people have studied what would happen if time travel were real. What are all the conundrums and different questions you would have to answer? So like, for example, right where we left off, he leaves her, he fights her, gets the key, gets into the room. He's going to jump back in time, but basically that's where there's infinite multiple timelines like she's going to live a life 
right there where she's in that house yeah. with the cop showing up and are going right. to get her, bust her ass and send her to prison. And he's gone, but he's going to then jump back to a time before that. And that's a totally infinite time, totally different timeline, but it's the only one he's going to be conscious of. But that also brings up the point, Doctor, when he jumps back in time. What happens about, to him? Which I'm about to get to. Does her timeline evaporate? When he goes back and starts a new timeline, well, does this the current timeline fade away? That we are now just stuck in this time loop. Ever since the time machine was built. How has nobody, made, how, how's nobody made a fucking time machine double IPA that we could have drank tonight? I'm sure there is somewhere. Or a, a bass. What's the th- what's the thing? The, a flux capacitor hazy IPA. I'm sure there has I been think that there too. Is one. All right, I think there is one. Well, hey, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We're almost done. Let me, let Great just, Scott IPA. Let me just finish this out. Charlotte demands that Rusty let let her into the time machine closet, but he refuses. It's all garbage, he says. You don't deserve any of this because everything you've done with it is garbage. She pleads with him that if he lets her in, they can jump back to before they met. I'll just order an Uber or something, but it's too late. The preachy fuck, Rusty, as she calls him, plugs in the wristwatch and starts scrolling hours back. Next thing we know, the pink and blue neon lights start flashing across his eyes as the machinery hums and boom. He's suddenly parked once again outside Charlotte's boyfriend's house, whistling a Christmas carol as she runs out the front door with her makeup case. She jumps in the Porsche and they speed off, just like we saw them do it hours earlier. Only get this. This time, they don't almost hit the honking car as they pull the driveway. And this time, the boyfriend doesn't chase them down the street on foot. Why would those things change as nothing else has changed? This is their first jump back. Again, it's a time travel movie, stupid. So don't ask questions. It just makes you look dumb, is what <laughs> the filmmaker is telling me. Pretty much. Russell drives uh, down the roadways and fires a single bullet into the side of Charlotte's head before burying her body out in Winchester, where they had buried Frank's body, and burning her purse and belongings in the campfire. Bowen does a really nice subtle take here where you can tell he's still wrapping his head around all this batshit time travel craziness while also internally struggling. This is just him looking at the fire with the guilt of maybe killing a young woman, even if it's undoable or not real. He still did it, depending on how you look at it. And I thought his little scene at the fire there, man, that's expert acting. He nailed it. I didn't. I didn't see any of it. I see he's totally transformed now. Well, he's hopeful, which is something we haven't seen from uh, Rusty yet. Next stop for Rusty's the bar that he took Charlotte to earlier, or rather, the bar he didn't take her to earlier in this new timeline he's currently in, because that happened after they left the boyfriend's house, and this timeline he killed her. There's a scene of him in the bar's bathroom, which I found interesting. He's washing his hands vigorously to get her blood off of them. And he's wearing the goddamn calculator time travel watch as he's splashing water all over it, washing his hands. You don't know if the shit's waterproof. <laughs> Dude, Rusty, there's a reason they kept this shit. In the- 
A little calculator watches were made by Casio and only Casio. Dude, those were waterproof. They kept this watch in a protective case for a reason. He's splashing soap all over it and water. I'm like, you idiot. Anyway, that was just me. Uh, Anywho, he takes a seat at the bar then. And just as he drinks his first sip of delicious, well-earned whiskey, guess who sits next to him at the bar? That's right, Frank. In this timeline, Frank's still alive. Frank asks Russell to slide the bowl of poker mix down the bar his way so he can munch on it a bit. Dude, remember? We all know what's in the poker mix. (laughs) Our loyal listeners will know. uh, Back when we could drink and smoke here together in the Corner of Hope, Tut used to bring (laughs) us this 10-pound bag of poker mix, which was select. It had a serious... A non-nutritive crunch enhancer? It had a crunch enhancing cereal varnish on the pretzels and the the Chex Mix. He's like, hey, can you slide that down so I can munch on a bit? And Rusty happily obliges. I would always purchase gourmet mixed nuts. (laughs) Frank orders a black and tan. Man, he said that? Dude, it's been 20 years since I had a fucking black and tan. I was like, I want a black and tan right now, like a real black and tan. That's a great thing to order in a bar. I haven't had one in years. Yax, do you do black and tans at the bar? I do. Okay. And they are delicious. Next time I'm at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, I will be drinking a black and tan. And he tells Russell that he's waiting on a flaky chick for a date who's late as usual. Russell grins in his whiskey and says, you know what? Sometimes you're better off if they never show up at all. Did you think maybe that it was going to be Charlotte showing up for a date with Frank? Well, yeah. I mean, that was the implication. Okay. It was supposed to be, but she's dead now in that timeline. Well, it was one of those things. But that's who he's waiting on. That's who he's waiting on. But in, in in their timeline now, she's dead. He tells Frank, I'm celebrating alone tonight. This app I invented is about to go public. He buy, he tells the bartender, I'm buying Frank's drink. And then they hold up their, their cocktails and they toast to new beginnings. Which... Ding! The end. And the end has a really upbeat, really kind of cheesy Shooter Jennings rock and roll song that plays us out through the end credits. I didn't care for that. A rare miss and an otherwise pretty damn good soundtrack and a really fucking good movie. This thing had so many elements that I want to see in a film, but I have little luck in finding these days. I loved this movie. Agree? So are we to assume now that Rusty went back in time to kill Charlotte and gain control of the key and thus control of the time machine. And so now he goes to have a drink and she's out of the picture. Are we to assume that he's now going to go back now that he's got the key? Is he going to now go back again? He's going to drink. He's going to drink that. He's going to drink that warm glass of whiskey, go back to the house set it back to when he was signing those papers to sign his control over that app away, not sign them, get power over that very popular app, be a successful gazillionaire because 
Charlotte had heard of that app. It's a big deal. And his wife won't leave him as a result. And everything's going to be, it's a happy ending. And Boom. because he's not a millennial. Well, the question then becomes, because if he wants to keep his reality. He destroys. The after machine. he does, does that, he has to destroy the machine. Correct. He cannot go he back and back again to fix something else. He can't go back and stop 9-11. He can't do anything. That which she called, he would never do that. Once, he, it, once he's good, once he's squared. Yeah. But that also leads to a very good question that you guys brought up. Once you have that power, okay, so he doesn't sign the, the app away and he, he gets millions of dollars and his wife is happy. First of all, what kind of wife is that that leaves you because you blew a business deal? Fuck her anyway. Yes, but anyway, she stays with him. They have kids and all that. He's going to just live with that key and that watch in his closet and not use it again? Well, that's what I'm saying. They have they've put a limitation on the time machine. It can only You can only jump back as far as as your own inception, your own birth. Yeah, but say he makes another bad business deal uh, 15 years down well, no, the road. No, I'm not, I'm He's not going to jump he back. Loop back on his own life. They could all do that. But you're trapped. And that's why I say you're stuck in a time loop. If someone decides to continually keep jumping back. So yeah. in, in this instance, if nobody else knows about the time machine and for whatever reason, nobody goes and checks on this house if it's just yeah, whatever. So if he lives all the way until he's 85 years old and then decides, I'm going to go back, I'm going to jump back to when I'm 20, he can keep doing that. But in his life and for, I don't know, maybe ever, for everybody, time will only exist in that 80 years. I I, I walked away, Yaks, with the impression that because the way A.J. Bone smiles into that glass of whiskey when he toasts the new beginnings, we're left to with the impression of he's going to jump back, get the money that was, that was rightfully his from that bad business deal, save his marriage, I, I'm left with the impression that there's not a lot of dudes running around with these keys, that there's one set of keys, and he, he's got it. I don't know if he'll use it again, but it ends on a, especially with this Shooter Jennings rock and roll song out of nowhere, which text contextually like really jumped out at me as a bad choice. I think we're just supposed to be left with the happy ending of this guy getting his life back. Well, that's great for Rusty, but if I'm another person in the game and I find out he has the key, I'm gunning for that mofo. Well, it's, and that and that's where it gets weird. So let's say there's you know five keys. So but there's four it, other people out there. But I don't, back in this loop. I, mean, I, I just think that, and that's that's one of the problems that's inherent with time travel movies is that you either have to force your audience to do two things, suspend their disbelief and just roll with the flow, or you have to uh, placate the time, the science geeks deliver who, the will rip, who will rip it apart. Like, deliver like the, I do. Deliver like very strict rules and yeah. stick with them. Uh, I, I think we're just left here with 
hey, we spent 80 minutes here getting you to like this guy, and we give him a happy ending after this night of hell he went through. That's fine. And I think that's fine. I, but the fact that we're, we just spent three minutes, who else has keys? What's he going to do after that? That's a good movie. When you when you keep thinking beyond the movie, yeah. I think that's a testament to good storytelling. That's why I, I wouldn't say that I love the movie, but I really liked the movie. I, I'm definitely not sad that I spent money on it. Uh, it's definitely something that I, I would suggest people watch. Uh, the acting is good. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's a fun ride. I mean, even with even with my my griping about some of the stuff, it's still a fun ride. It's a uh, very fun ride. Uh, I'll I'll say my my last words are to make a musical comparison point. I buy every single fucking album that my favorite vocalist Mike Patton appears on. If he if he makes an appearance on an album, I buy it. Uh, I'm just that big a fan, and I'm at the point now where I will actively seek out and watch anything that AJ Bowen appears in. No matter how the movie looks to me, if the movie doesn't look interesting to me by reading the synopsis or whatever, I'll fucking seek it out and watch it because I know he'll bring a new angle of humanity and something super special to it. He's that he's that next level in my mind. Everything I've seen the guy in is next level. Uh, the guy is just fucking phenomenal. That's my opinion. And I'm going to open up to you boys. Do y'all have any favorite actors or actresses out there that you're that into these days where no matter what, if you look at their IMDb and it says they're in it, you'll watch it. These days? No. Short of obviously like Daniel Day-Lewis, obviously you'll watch anything that fucking brilliant dude does. No, no. No, I don't have anybody like that. Dead people that I haven't seen all their movies, yes, but no, not not anyone. Well, I know I know the doctor's currently in the mid the midst of a deep dive into the Marlon Brando filmography, which he's uh, typing up some words, which we hope to uh, feature on the Tuesday Night Square Club website soon. Uh, he got kind of a little tickle in his ass to to dig in deep on Marlon Brando and good good that. That's been going for a couple of weeks, and I think it's going good. You know, it take a little while. I got I got more movies to watch, but yeah, well, I mean, like a know. lot to watch. Uh, but I, I'm really excited to read your thoughts on on Brando because he's one of those guys that uh, fascinates me um, beyond all belief. So, but yeah, I just I I I don't know why, but this actor just I think he elevates everything he's given on the script. And he just elevates every movie he's in. And yeah, if he's in it, I'll fucking watch it. I just, I just love this guy. And I think more so than the sacrament, more so than obvious, the guest was, he had a side role. Uh, but even more so than, much more so, Doctor, than my favorite role of his, A Horrible Way to Die. I thought this was his, the best I've seen him. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I just, I just thought he was, he ran the spectrum from innocent cab driver to where he ends up. And I thought he did it all masterfully. I, I, uh, you know what? He's not paying me. So I'm going to stop talking about AJ Bowen, but I, I, I just, I just, <laughs> I, I just love this actor. And, uh, he's a great actor. He really I really, is. really, really dug this movie because 
most of, especially small independent movies like this, I mean, dude, the chick wrote it, co-directed it, edited it. The, the other co-director shot it cinematography wise. Um, they clearly, it, it, it's a low budget affair, but when they had to have special effects, like with Frank's skull being torn apart and all that, they did that stuff great. I just, I just respect people that take limited uh, resources and especially limited stories where it's a condensed cast and a small story. And they just really do something really cool and really special. Yeah. And I thought Night Drive gave me all of that. I'm a big fan. I love this movie. Thank you very much for joining us. We will be back in two weeks with our March to Halloween. Who knows where we're going from here, but I promise it'll be fun. So, Tut, now you're in the hot seat. Give us some links. All right. So hit us up on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You can join us on Instagram at TNCC underscore podcast. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at TNCC cast. And then uh, please join us and subscribe to YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. If you want to buy uh, some of the cigars that you see on the show, you can definitely go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Click on the Famous Smoke Shop banner. And if you order $100 or more, you get uh, 20% off of that order. So that's a pretty cool deal. And uh, yeah, there you go. Good job, Ted. Uh, in the meantime, if uh, you're on the fence out there, you know what? I know a lot of people don't like politics, uh, which it's not. It shouldn't be politics. It's common sense mixed with their cigar media. Uh, well, then we're not your show. Uh, go get vaccinated. Uh, if you do, there's a good chance you won't end up in a hospital bed. Because um, guess what? 99% of the people right now in hospital beds aren't vaccinated. So go get vaccinated. Uh, put your bullshit aside and do what's right so you can listen to more of our shows. That's <laughs> self, that's self-serving a little bit, but I'll, I'll dig it. If you die, you can't listen to the Tuesday night cigar club and we don't, and you don't that. have a time machine to go back in. No, Just you dead. folks do not have a time machine in your hallway closet to go back in time if you get struck with the COVID and you're not vaccinated. But guess what? If you get the vaccinated, you get the vaccine. And if it's coming up, you get the booster shot. Uh, guess what? You're probably going to be okay. Uh, here's a, a groundbreaking thought. Listen to doctors about medical shit and listen to scientists because uh, memes and Facebook are your enemy. And in the meantime, while you're listening to me and doing that stuff and changing your worldviews. We'll be back in two weeks and it doesn't affect your freedoms. It doesn't affect your liberties. You're still cool on the American front. You're just a much more civil minded citizen and we will respect you a lot more. Uh, so get this. May the wings of Liberty never lose a feather, which they won't. You're not losing feathers if you get vaccinated. You're just being the right guy at the right time or the right gal at the right time. Sayonara, motherfuckers. March to Halloween. It's coming up. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Tut, let it go for a few seconds.
Todd all of a sudden steps into his time machine. Son of a bitch! Goes back 12 years before he met any of us. Oh, great. All this work into this episode, it never exists. Fucking Todd. To learn more about the time I worked very briefly as an Uber driver in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, please read my titillating new ebook, Peen and Weens in My Mean Green Machine. But yours truly, Keith A. Howell. Yes, I specialize mostly in driving male strippers home after a crazy night at the club. And yes, again, I am physically unable to drive a motor vehicle with my pants on. What's that? Yeah. Or go to most family-style, medium-priced restaurants. Yep, yep, just can't have my pants on. Exactly. It's a real condition. Look it up. So, my passengers supplied the wings, I supplied the peen, and my lime-green AMC pacer got everybody where they wanted to go. Except for me. One night, I got terribly lost after leaving the Arby's drive-thru at 4 a.m. with some of the fellas and... Let's just say there were both some truth discovered that night and many consequences resulted as well. Like so yaddy yaddy yadda, I'm not allowed to be an Uber driver anymore. Which is actually fine. I'm making enough sweet cash from doing the voiceovers for the Tuesday Night Cigar Club that I don't need that stupid job anymore. Wait, these podcast losers don't pay me jack shit. Well that's it then, I quit. Well, I, I, I'll quit right... Well, okay, I'll quit right after I say this last part. <clears throat> Better do it right. To learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit TatuateCigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. <laughs>